Well, hello, everyone. As I would, I sit here again with Keith. So what you saying, a mask off edition? Forgot to tell you guys. Alright, we got a mask off, like I said. And I forgot to tell you guys yeah, we last do. week, and the new thing we're doing is no emails. That's right. When we have a mask off, because right. we want to give the guests a lot of room because the guests need to talk. You guys yeah, aren't here do. to listen to us on, on this one. Nope. And this guy here, man, he's got a hell of an experience in life and things to talk about. Quite a resume. Yeah, it, yeah. it's real nice. So uh, let's get right to it. This is a new form, the way we do it. Go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. I am uh, Sean O'Connell. Professional mixed martial arts fighter, radio host, and aspiring author, I guess is a good way to say it. Well, you finished your books. Yeah. Yeah. It still feels like I'm aspiring because (laughs) no, like, publishing house has adopted me yet. (laughs) Yet. Looking for the home run, right? Yeah. (laughs) And and why why do you go that order? Why do you go professional fighter, announcer, and then the, the book guy? I think because it's the order of recognition for other people, right? People... If you've heard my name before, it's probably because of me as a fighter. Okay. And then second would be me as a radio guy, Uh sports talk Mm -hmm. radio guy. And then third, if you're like my relative or a friend of mine, you maybe (laughs) have read my book. Okay. So it goes like that. I thought you were throwing that out there because you were just letting us know you'd clean the house with us if we start fucking up and fucking (laughs) off. We do and say stupid shit, and you'll get to know that. I just... I don't have to tell you that. You already know. So. <laughs> you got a point. <laughs> we, we had a couple of fighters on. The, the yeah. first one we had, I had the mouthpiece, and you were on your own. Right. I had a baseball yep. bat that he would have probably made me eat. The second <laughs> one, we both had motorcycle helmets. Now we're Just in this yeah. fucking woodshed with one way in, one way out, and this motherfucker's by the door. So this may yeah. be the one we really get our ass kicked, guys. <laughs> we do have a window we could slither out <laughs> oh, if we really had to. He could throw us you out. You could boost me out of it. He can't sure. fit through that window. <laughs> <laughs> you could make me fit through that window. <laughs> All right, yeah. so we, we take our mask off, guests, and we ask some random questions. This is us uh, just warming you up, man. Okay. All right? All right. What's the last dream you remember? The last dream I remember? Yes, sir. Actually, I'm a pretty vivid dreamer, I, and I dream at least once a mm-hmm. week. I remember a dream. Okay. Right? So um, this would have been maybe a, two, three days ago. Let's hear it. I had a dream that I was... I don't know where exactly I was. It felt like my neighborhood, but I didn't recognize any of the particular houses. And I could not find my dog. And I was looking for my dog. I have a big old Mastiff, Mr. President. He's the greatest dog ever. That's his name, Mr. President? It is. No president in particular, just Mr. President. Just Mr. President, yeah. And I could not find my dog. And I'm sure there's some symbolism somewhere that I should know about. Okay. But I couldn't find my dog. I'm looking for my dog. I'm wandering through. People are yelling at me for wandering in their yards. I don't see any particular person. Uh-huh. But I just know that people are getting upset that I'm wandering through their yards. And then I hear a voice talking to me like, hey. Hey, hey, I'm over here, and my dog is the one talking to me. <laughs> I love that dream. I love yeah, that dream. Yeah. And I, I woke up right as I would think I was contemplating, like, wait, my dog talks to me now? <laughs> that's what woke you up? I think that's, I think that's the juncture up? in which I woke up, like, wait a second. Because, you know, like, the Did first you? response was like, oh, relief. Uh-huh. Hey, there you are. Okay. But then I think it was, wait a minute. 
<laughs> We're talking now. So did you wake up hoping that your dog could actually then talk to you? I walked downstairs. Say a few things to him. I walked downstairs and I just kind of <laughs> looked at him. Because he doesn't... We're at the point now. He doesn't even get up off his bed when he sees me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's old hat. Okay. My wife, he loves. He'll come wh- tail wagging and come and snuggle up to her. When he sees me come down the stairs, he's just like, sup? Because he knows who's running shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I just... I kind of walked to the bottom of the stairs, looking at him. He's looking back at me, staring contest, waiting for someone to blink. He didn't say anything, though, so... <laughs> I think must I think that must have dream. just a dream. <laughs> Should check them for pockets, man. Maybe they'll make it a side hustle. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question is: Would you rather live forever or be impervious to pain? Be impervious to pain. I don't want to live forever, man. That doesn't. That's sound a long cool time. That's a long time. Immortality be- sounds like a bitch to me. No, thank you. Because if you, if I assume if you live forever, you don't age, right? So then, if you're not going to age, everyone else does, and uh, seems exhausting. The thing that would suck for me is you'd have to. Everybody you love, you'd watch go all right. the yes. time. Over and over yeah, and over. Over yeah. and over and yeah. over again. You just have a life of heartache. Mm. All right? And what's your go-to meal to cook? My go-to meal to cook? If your wife cook? says, look, woo me. Tonight's tonight. Hook it up. Cook something. I got family, friends coming over. <laughs> put it down. It'd be, put- great. It'd be great if my wife ever said that. Okay. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be incredible. Uh, no. I, my go-to meal to cook, uh, I smoke bacon on the old Traeger. Okay. You guys mm-hmm. ever had the thick sliced... Mm-hmm. Bacon, you throw it on there for four to six hours. You smoke that business. Yeah, you ever done it like that? Nope, nope. (laughs) I haven't done it personally because I don't do that. If it doesn't have sugar and pastry in it, then I don't do it. (laughs) But I've house full of kids. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. But but, uh, the the grill guys that we've had on, they do that, and it's delicious. I love it. Yeah, Yeah, I'll do like I'll do a smoked bacon, and then my probably the only recipe that I developed myself that I could lay claim to that people seem to enjoy universally. I, I make a chili that's uh, like a turkey cranberry chili. I don't. I mm. use mm. I use ground turkey and chopped turkey, and uh, throw whole cranberries in there, and it's got kind of a spicy sweet little sweet heat to it. Okay. Some crumble up some Fritos, mm-hmm. a little bacon on the side because smoked bacon and chili seem to go together. I don't know why, uh-huh. yeah. but. Yeah, they that, do. That, that's what I end up doing. Okay. All right. That sounds and, delicious. And, and that would be the one that would shut it down. You're confident in that meal. <laughs> I mean, I know she'd at least enjoy the meal. <laughs> All right. Exactly. But then she'd probably be like, uh, no, that's I'm a little full. <laughs> and then uh, which era do you wish you were born in? Ooh, that's a great question. I think for me it's probably a toss-up between like – Oklahoma Sooners expanding west kind of time, you know, where okay. f- free land. Yeah, yeah. free land. <laughs> Just go stake your <laughs> Just, claim. Yeah. Or I think um I mean maybe maybe I have a higher self-concept than I should, but I think <laughs> I think it would have been cool to be born where your prime was like that the greatest generation World War II kind of business. I think that being part of that and the whole sort of Recovery of America and the GI Bill and and you know the everyone coming back and getting that little white picket fence life right. coming yeah. off of uh, coming off of some service where you literally saved the world yeah. from nightmarish right. tyranny at the hands of Adolf Hitler. I think that would have been cool. Right yeah. on. I like can't, that. Can't man. argue with that. All right. So our guest 
introduce our snaggles. <laughs> I don't know why you no. call it snaggles. Oh, well, I guess he needs to give him a background. Give him a quick background. Right, so when there. we first started this podcast, damn near two years ago, we hit 100 episodes yet. Uh, we're, we're almost there. Yep. We're right there. We're coming up on it. Yep. Yeah, we're just about ready to nut, yeah, right? A couple just, weeks. You, couple you weeks. feel it? You're almost yeah. there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we would drink on the podcast and hear the ice jingling. And one of my but, boys says, uh, Keith, it'd be good if you let people know what type of bitch beer you're drinking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we don't drink beer. We drink mixed drinks. That's why it is ice. Who puts ice in fucking beer, you asshole? Southerners. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, this friend has teeth like a southerner because they go every direction in the book. Looks like he's been chewing on a chain or, or you know, drug across asphalt. So it's called Snaggles because his nickname is Snaggles, and we right. named it after him. Well, uh, today's Snaggles is... Kahlua, and you got a big old glass of that stuff. Over I, I do, and mm-hmm. I thought you were going to partake in it. So, full disclosure, <laughs> everybody, when we have a guest on, we ask them what do they drink. And the real OC, Sean O'Connell, says to me, I'll take mm-hmm. chocolate milk. Well, I showed up with Kahlua. Because that goes great with chocolate milk. I thought he was going to kick my ass, but he really wanted chocolate milk, so we had to run to the store and go get him real chocolate milk. So, we're drinking Kahlua, and he's drinking. I got some, I got some whole... Whole full fat chocolate milk right here. As Richie Cunningham <laughs> with a fierce overhand right right across me right I'll tell there. you what, I, I love chocolate milk. It's, that's, if I'm imbibing in something delicious and indulging a vice, it's with chocolate milk. Interesting. Don't get, don't get too crazy now. <laughs> I know. I know that makes me sound very square, but guess what? A lot of people out there are probably forgetting how wonderful chocolate milk is because they waste their time on things like Kahlua and for years <laughs> haven't gone to the, the milk aisle and uh-huh. pulled out a True Moo or a Dairy Gold <laughs> or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Go for it. There's, there's a uh, local uh, uh, whatever. My brain can't think of it right now because of Snaggles. But, um, Here we go. They sell uh, root beer milk. Have you ever had that? It's excellent. It, uh, Winter Dairy. Yeah, they, excellent. It, it is the best milk that I've ever had. Yeah, the, we we actually it's have amazing. We actually have some excellent uh, local creameries. Uh, mm-hmm. One does a <laughs> one does a, a cookies and cream milk. The root beer milk is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the strawberry milk, I think, probably That's a little right. overrated. But yeah. <laughs> if I had to go on milk, it'd be strawberry. Obviously, this is the one that's overrated, right? <laughs> Snaggles is brought to you by Tiger Claw Tattoo. Yeah, guys, head over. Uh, we've told you before. We'll tell you again. Uh, Mill Creek, if you want to get yourself some ink, go over to Tiger Claw Tattoo, see our boy Shea, or uh, any one of those guys. There, All of them. As a matter of fact, they can get you in. Uh, walk in person, set up a time, check out their artwork, schedule your uh, inking, and then uh, go in and get tattooed. Uh, Tiger Claw Tattoo, they'd love to see you there, guys. Go check it out. I want to go in reverse order. We went fighter, we went announcer, we went author. I want to start on author, and I want to talk about this book, Hellbound, Heaven Sent. Uh, I, I, just real quick, if I could throw this out. Um, when I first heard the title and then knew who was coming on, I thought, oh, this is obviously an autobiography. <laughs> There's no way it couldn't be. Nope. Yeah, it, it, I, not, considering who it was, I say, well, makes sense to me. Well, it has a young Mr. Aaron Dane. In it. Well, Aaron Dane's probably about what, 33, 34? Yeah, he's uh, he's probably early 30s. Early 30s. But he lives in a time where there's legalized prostitution, gambling, abortion, and, of course, human cloning. Uh I like that. The near future. You you feel (laughs) these things are coming about. For sure. How far in the future is this book? Uh, In my mind, it's probably 25, 30 years in the future. Okay. Talk to me about the concept for the book and how this came about for you. So I, I was a big reader growing up, right? Books are kind of the, the fabric, the thing that keeps my family together. We, we just, 
I grew up in a strict household. My parents were very, you know, parsimonious with the money and things like okay. that. But my father never, nor my mother, never turned down a request for a book. We wanted a toy, a new bicycle, something like that. You waited till your birthday or Christmas. You did a bunch of chores and earned your way into it. But if you ask for a book, they go get you the book. Okay. We'd go to the library whenever we wanted. Every week we'd go to Barnes & Noble. We'd pick out books. And how, how, how many is we? How many kids are in your family? Um, there are four kids. How many boys? Three boys, one girl. She the uh, oldest, youngest. She is younger than me. So my I have an older brother. She's she's the middle basically, but she's the only girl. So the, the only the girl only never one. gets treated like the middle child, right? Right. right no. So right. I'm actually, yeah. I'm the middle she's child <laughs> because I I have an older brother, uh-huh. right? And then me, and uh-huh. then the only girl, and then the baby. So right. and uh-huh. who's, who's a boy? So I'm the middle boy. Yeah. I'm the only one who's not like I don't lay claim to some remarkable. Yeah, you don't have anything. You're not the oldest. <laughs> nope. You're exactly. not the only girl. And you're not the baby. Exactly. Hence why you kick ass, write books, and tell people what to do about <laughs> sports. Because I'm like, pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. Yeah. I'm a yeah. human. <laughs> yeah. So I, I grew up reading a lot. Uh, I loved sci-fi novels. I've always been fascinated, probably because of how I grew up with kind of the religious slant of things, the way that people's mythology and their religion and all that stuff kind of intersect. And I've been obsessed with the concept of angels for as long as I can remember. Did you have an experience or anything? Uh, No, I I haven't had an experience. I mean, I very firmly believe in the concept of guardian angels watching over us. Okay. Um, That, you know, that, that to me is as much of a reality as the sky outside is. Hmm. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I wanted to put down. I was. I'm, I'm so inspired by and so fascinated with the, the stories that people internalize and care about. You know, the Lord of the Rings type stuff and mm-hmm, the Star right. Wars type stuff and things that like people adopt as something they truly care about. I've always kind of been jealous of the fact that those authors were able to create those worlds. And I was like, well, what's a concept that I have that I think is kind of unique? And that maybe people will get on board with something like that. And people obsess about those they things, They obsess too. about yeah. them, right? Yeah. And Go and ahead I, and try and, and ruin the ending to one of those. See what happens. Yeah. It's, yeah, so. And there's just so much creativity in the human mind. And I was like, you know what? I think this is a good idea. And, and the concept came to me probably my junior year of high school. And, and the elevator pitch of the book is that in the near future, the world is becoming, you know, more of a problematic place. And... Much like, you know, Book of Revelations and Legend and things like that. That's what I got mm-hmm. from this. Yeah, there's, you know, the, the ultimate battle of good and evil, heaven and hell, is supposed to eventually be played out on Earth. So, in my book, the forces of good are just people who are manifested as angels. The truly virtuous among us manifest angelic traits and abilities. The truly wicked among us manifest demonic abilities and traits. And the vast majority of people are just stuck in the middle because I kind of feel like that's how the world really is. Mm. It's rare that people are truly to the core virtuous and good. And it's rare that people are truly to the core wicked or evil or sinister. Most people are just doing the best they can. So in the book, you've got a small percentage of people who become angelic, small percentage of people who become demonic, and most people are just trying to figure out how to survive as this war starts to take place around them. Does money mean demonic? Because I'm getting, I'm getting, without giving the book away, your man Hunter Valdez. Yeah. All right. So does that power corrupt? Um, 
Ill, ill-gotten power and money certainly, I think, is one of the biggest uh, evils in our world today. If we're mm-hmm. if we're crossing the sci-fi line, that I you know, I tried to make the book semi-believable, but there's obviously very heavy, you know, sci-fi elements to it, religious sci-fi elements to it. But I thought something that people can relate to is the fact that the the wicked guy is this super powerful, rich, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, handsome, appears to be, you know. Is it you? It's not me. <laughs> you got a nice set of teeth in your mouth. So I, I, I think and it, I bought those. Those are ill-gotten, you know what I'm saying? So, and I think, but I think every, every book or every, even sci-fi, no matter how far or crazy you want to get, I think every story we tell, because we're human, we're grounded here, has some element of of a truth, right? Sure. Like, so to me, that seems like, that almost feels like, uh, without the sci-fi parts of it, it almost feels like that's what today is. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can find those people out there. And I think we all know someone that's that we hold to a high standard and they carry themselves as such. And then you meet that asshole that you're like, what's possessed that piece of shit? Yeah. Right? And then right. there's us in the middle that are just like, eh? And then look, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't like getting political, but it's now is the time where it's easy to see that there are plenty of very powerful people sure. who are powerful on the backs of innocent folks mm-hmm. or average folks or whatever. And so my main antagonist in this story happens to be a guy who's very rich and famous and powerful, and he's powerful, and and you know he came from a place and he he got to those levels of, of fame and wealth not caring about helping out other people and just selfishly, you know, acquiring the things that mattered to him. And to me, that represents, I think, a compelling villain, but also, you know, pretty, pretty relatable story. All right. Rare yeah. is the person, as a junior in high school, can actually put pen to paper and start yes. formatting something. Sure. When, when did pen go to paper for you with this? How old were you? I was 21 years old when I finally... One, one problem I have is, as an individual is... I'll get what I consider to be big ideas, right? Like, I'm a dreamer. I'm a big schemer. I'm an idea man. But I have this thing where I almost need, like, permission to to do it, you know? I almost need for someone to be like, yeah, you could do that. You could write a book. So I had this idea for four years in my head, and I would tell a couple people about it. And, like, some of them would be like, wow, that sounds cool if they were comic book nerds like myself and Uh they could kind of see the vision of it. And then I would tell people who don't have that sort of, you know, child's, childish sense of wonderment and imagination. Mm-hmm. And they'd just be like, eh, that sounds stupid. And so I would probably let those people's opinion of my story. Way more than the positive. Then the people were like, yeah, you should do that. And finally. because you're a middle child, you know. I guess, right? I yes, guess, maybe. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but I finally yeah. was just like, you know what, I've had this, this, this story has not left my head. And these characters that I started to kind of form have not left my head for years now. It'd be stupid for me to not at least try and put it down. And so I started, and I started picking away at it. And it took a long time. Um, And, you know, it took probably three more years before finally other things happened in my life. And I was like, okay, I'm going to a place where every night I will sit down and I will write this story, I will write this book, and I will finish this. And uh, finally I did, probably six years after I first hatched the idea. So when you, to go back just a little bit, you said you had these characters in your head. Did you have them named at the time? I that mean, is something question. you're running around with, okay, the, these are the names of the certain 
characters I want, or did that come up as because we had an author on this podcast not too long ago, Shadow's Voice, yeah, Natalie Johansson, and yeah. she told us that one of her biggest for the names because her book has a lot of different names in it. Yeah. She went to um, namecreator.com or something right. like that and yeah. just punched it in and kicked out names. So, but you're, the names in your book seem a little more unique than that. Yeah, I um so. Most of the characters are conglomerates of people that I've met in my life, personalities that I actually know. No no one character is just one person sure. for the most yeah. part. And there's a couple bit characters that kind of are. But none of the major storytellers of this book are are just one person equals one character. So the names are conglomerates of those things as well. Um, the bad guys, right, they were harder to name for me because even though I had these personality traits and the things that I wanted – to embody in my villains, I didn't really have great examples of, like, what can I name that person? Okay. Right? So, like, Hunter Valdez was originally Fabiano Dos Santos, and that was going to be his name. And, you know, I kind of ran it. Italian dad and Spanish mom. And I ran ran it by a couple people, and they were just like, man, that's a mouthful. And people, even when they're reading that, are going to have a problem with it. Uh And I was like... That's, I mean, I feel like you're diminishing the intelligence of the average book reader, but, um, yeah, so, you know, I, with, for him, I, I went with something a little bit more colloquial okay. to the United States, mm. uh, for it, who I think is the most compelling character in the whole book, the Bruja. That's not really a name, right? No. It's like, it's a title. It's a, right. it's a nickname. It's, it's something that. It's almost like a status. Is yeah. It, it yeah. like carries a weight to it that even like a given name never can. Right. So I thought, you know, that was a good idea by myself. I patted myself on the back for that one. See what I, I did, guys? Check it out. <laughs> Pay attention to me. No. Right, and so a name like Blue Jean. Yeah. How, how does that manifest? And, and what is behind that name and that character? So, like, I, I have this really soft spot in my soul for people of, um, you know, limited developmental status or yeah. down syndrome folks. Um, my own younger brother had health problems when he was, when he was a baby and had a stroke as a result of it cool. and is classified as traumatic brain injured. So he's developmentally delayed, right? Okay. He's 24 now and he's probably more like a kind of an awkward 12 year old, okay. right? Mm. Totally high functioning. He can do his own thing. He's got a job and all that, but you always need to watch out sure. for him. So I just, you know, I grew up around, a lot of people like that in my own household, and then you kind of that community is pretty tight knit, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, and my best friend's mother, my best friend has a, a a younger brother who very similar situation actually. When he was born, he was oxygen deprived for a long time and ended up like severely brain damaged and had cerebral palsy. Like he has really severe cerebral palsy, confined to a wheelchair, can't communicate effectively, Damn. and. When my brother, you know, Tyson, this this kid, uh, is older than my, my brother. Okay. And so I already knew this family, my best friend's family. I was in, like, uh, third grade or whatever. And, you know, when you're young, you don't really understand what it's going to mean for your brother to mm-hmm. be damaged or delayed or whatever you want to say. What's right? you guys' age difference? So I'm nine years older than him. Okay. Uh, and <clears throat> my best friend's mother, who's just one of the great influences of my life, one of the mother figures of my life, she's fantastic, she told me something, I think when I was in fourth or fifth grade, she's like, well, you know why they're like that, right? You know why Tyson is this way and Patrick, my younger brother, is that way? 
And I was just like, why? And she said, because I get chills and I get a little teary every time I, I relate the story. She said, they were part of the host that cast the devil out of heaven. And when they come to this earth, they have to hide their souls from the devil so he can't tempt them and corrupt them and bring them down to hell because they're, like, special. Mm-hmm. So that's the way God hides them from the devil is he makes them special. And then they don't have – they get a free pass. They don't have to go through they the same trials and the tribulations. Yeah. Like and wow. I, I got – you know, wow. she told me that when I was in fourth or fifth grade, and it has stuck with me so deep, and it made so much sense to me, and it stuck with me. So I knew I needed to have a character that was that, that was somebody who's truly innocent, like our Down syndrome mm-hmm. friends are, and like my brother is, and like Tyson with the cerebral palsy is. I knew I needed to have a character that was limited in some way, uh, and then would would reach his true potential later in the book. That's good mm. to not good to hear, but that's interesting to hear because I've had experience around people with Down syndrome and when you're describing him and his mannerisms at the zoo, for instance. Yeah. yeah. This that Jubilee he had with it. And then the aftermath of what happened at the zoo and how he reacted to it. That keyed something to me. I'm like, wow. You know, that that's right. it was real. Yeah. The way you wrote that out. That was yeah. that was real. Yeah. And I, you know, he's so so blue jean, right? And I I named him Blue Jean because We'd give nicknames to all the things we love and care yep. about in life, right? right. Yeah. And of course, somebody like Eugene in this, Eugene Moss, mm-hmm. he's going to be named not Eugene. That's too formal, right? right. They're going to call him something else. So his his friends when he was little started calling him Blue Gene because it rhymes, and that kind of thing sticks with you your whole life, especially if you're Down syndrome. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So Blue and Gene you, stays. And you know Blue those Jean. people are your friends when you hear that name having yeah. Down syndrome. You get excited. That's somebody that always right. been there for me. Exactly. I'm not going to meet him and call him Blue Gene, but you know Aaron Dane will. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So he's been Blue Gene their whole life, and he will stay Blue Gene no matter what. And uh, that's you know he's a conglomerate of all the the characters, all the the fine, you know, really better than us people who mm. maybe in this world have their limitations and their struggles. Um, but whenever we all get to go and find out what's next, I think they're all going to be better off. I believe that to the core of my soul. That's but awesome, they'll man. be the leaders of us that are the leaders here. I truly believe that. That's beautiful, yeah. man. So it took you six years to write it from from start to finish. Yeah. Was it hard keeping pace? Was it hard keeping storyline? Was it hard coming up with new concepts? It was because I... Because of the storylines, I should say. Because the way I like picked at it so gradually uh, at first, um, it was hard to like keep continuity and make sure that you were trying to write with the same voice. And I, I've read this thing a thousand times, and I still find typos in it, and still find things I should have done differently in it. But um, I had to go back, you know, when I finally sat down, and, and it really, you know, took me about nine months when I really sat down and was working on it, damn near every day. Mm-hmm. And so when I did that and I think did a better job of developing that voice and that continuity, I would have to go back to the stuff I'd already written and alter some things and make sure that I made little tweaks to try and keep it, I don't know, in in continuity with the story. Sure. Did you find yourself um, after, because you got to go back over and over and over and over, you've read it a bunch of times. Did you ever find yourself, I don't want to say getting bored of it, but almost almost getting bored of it like okay i've read this i know it and or did it is it something that it just it has stayed fresh it stayed fun it stayed unique because you carried it around so many years in yeah. your head that to read it over and over 
almost to me seems like, okay, finally I can, now I can see what I've been thinking about for so long. It's still, I still enjoy it. And maybe this is <laughs> my ego that comes into play. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, the story and the characters are so dear to me because I'm, I'm fiercely proud of this. It's something that came all out of my head and nobody mm-hmm. had to, you know, there was no co-author. There was nobody that was telling me what to do or what to say or where to go with the story. And so I'm just proud that I've, I've finally got it all down. And even as I read it back now, um, if for probably the, I mean, I really, I've, I've been through it at least 30 times, right? So if I read right. it, read through it the 31st time, I'll still think, oh, I could have done this here and I didn't, but I can do that in the sequel or whatever. So I still get to have fun with it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's right where I was just going to go with it is now that you've done this and you've got it and you see those things, the sequel. Yeah, the sequel is uh, I did a much better job of storyboarding the sequel. So like kind of laid out the bones of it and the bones start to finish are done. And I've got about 115 pages of the sequel done. And, you know, that's now that I'm other things in my life have slowed down a little bit. My fighting career. Mm being over um the goal is to commit the same kind of time or at least some of the time that i used to spend training to writing and and hopefully it won't take me six years to do this and you can tell at least i can tell in this book that you have a background in fighting of some form his aaron dane talking to somebody in 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 the line uh he needs help and this person needs help as well he says if you don't get out of my way Right away, I'm going to put him down and break all the bones in your face. And it's real specific, <laughs> right? And he goes, Aaron Dane said, then your daughter will have a broken wrist and a broken daddy. Now, that line right there is probably <laughs> something. I don't know if, if we, I don't know, maybe in some of your former jobs, if you ever bounced or did body work or whatever. That, that's, it's just real deliberate and specific. Yeah. And there's some other fight scenes between, okay, Brown gets in a fight with somebody. Yeah. And that fight scene with the, with the rippling, I mean, it's... It, there's parts of it where you're like, oh, where's he going with this? You know, rippling muscles and stuff. But then you talk about how this punch does this and how this elbow does that. It's just real specific and, and descriptive is what it is. And so as you're writing it, I, you know, you know, the, the reader knows that this guy's been a fight or two in his life. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope it comes off that way. It comes off that way. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm a, I'm a visual writer. Uh, I'm a visual reader. Uh-huh. I hope, you know. I'm just kind of a visual person, so I'm trying to, for even people who maybe don't have that experience, I'm trying to let them know what it would look and smell and feel mm. feel like to be involved in those types of situations. And, um, and yeah, like, you know, Aaron, the, 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 the situation you're describing there, Aaron, is um, some, a big thing has happened, and there's a lot of people waiting mm-hmm. in the hospital, and, and Blue Jean, his, his friend, needs help, and he's at the hospital and there's people in line at this hospital, and there's somebody tries to confront him basically for cutting in line. Yep. And he's a no nonsense individual, and so he he believes that his situation is more urgent than the, the broken pe- ways. Then mm-hmm. yeah. So he says, "Get out of my way," and he's not going to let anything stand in his way, including you know. Yeah. So and so he explains it to that guy. That's the way I like that. Yeah. The way you said he explains it, because most people, I'll punch you in the face, or yeah. I'll kick your yeah. ass, <laughs> yeah. kick your ass. I've never been in a fight where I kick somebody's ass. Yeah. You know I mean, I'm going for the ribs. I'm going for the face. Right, yeah. I'm not kicking nobody's ass. I didn't ass. turn anyone around, bend them over, right, and right, kick them ass. Yeah, so yeah, when, he said, when he said, and my favorite part, like I said, is when he says, then she'll have a broken daddy and a broken wrist. And he has to calculate that, the, the pig face dude. Uh-huh. He's yeah. like, oh, well, he's probably right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if, I, I would like to think if anyone comes at me that specific, I should worry. Yeah. 
they, they, they just, of course, there are those people that are just going to run their mouths. But if you're that specific with that confidence, you know what you're doing. Yeah, I may step aside and say, okay, you're going to have the front of the line. Let this be a public public service announcement oh, to people shit. out there listening. This is different. <laughs> this is different, right? I mean, I love talking about this book, but realistically, if someone, if you're involved in, in some sort of confrontation, and a person is speaking to you calmly, yeah, uh-huh, mm. as you're getting upset, yeah. Get away! Yeah. You're gonna lose. Yeah, yeah. because they're it's calm. Go bad right? for you. They're calm and yeah. they're collected and they're calculating right now. And you are letting your emotions take over the situation. If they are calm and you are not, they know what you doing. need to abandon the mission now. Shit! <laughs> How many professional fights yep. have you had? Thirty-two. Oh my goodness! Mm. So, so the calmer the better, obviously, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you because you're you're working. You're yeah. not working off emotion. You're, right. You you got a job to do. I see think. this, and I know where I'm going to hit. Yeah, and, and emotion definitely comes into it, but, yeah, like, the, the more calm you are, the more calculating you are, you are, it's a bad situation to be on the other end of that, to be the person who's dictated by emotion. <laughs> so, and I know we, I know because we talked about fighter first, second, third, so, but I've got to ask, because we, we touched on it, so then in any of your fights, were you overcome so much by emotion that it... You found yourself looking up at the sky. All the worst ones, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, and that's like that—that's just the way it is, right? I mean, I had several fights. I—I fought when I was still on the local scene before I got my big break. I fought a guy who I could not stand. Like, I didn't like anything about the dude. I didn't like his personality. I didn't like the way he <laughs> talked to people. Uh, we've been fighting over the same girl kind of stuff. Oh, there could it is. There not it is. stand this yeah. guy, right? Uh-huh. And I went in there emotional, and mm-hmm. I got beat. And that made, oof, tell you what, someone that you actually, like, truly dislike beating mm-hmm. you in a fight with that's a lot humbling. of people watching, that's oh, bad. Don't explain that. <laughs> David kicked my ass in gym class in the seventh grade. <laughs> and I couldn't stand that motherfucker. Yeah. I fought him two weeks later. You know what he did? Uh, Kick my ass in gym class again. <laughs> so, so I've been there. Yeah, no. So, yeah. And, you know, I've been, um, in my most recent loss was just last season on my, you know, I was involved with the Professional Fighters League's first season and I won their belt. But on the way to that, I lost one of my regular season fights. And it's because I was worked up emotionally. I was upset over the fact that they were making me fight even though I didn't need to fight that night. And just, you know, we don't need to get in the backstory of it. But you lose focus in a situation like that against, I mean, the dude is from Dagestan, Russia with 30 fights and only one loss. Mm. And I'm going in there with an incorrect mindset. I got my ass kicked quick. Dagestan, (laughs) Russia would shake me from the get-go. right? (laughs) I want to fight somebody from Indianapolis. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) Me too. Is there anybody from Idaho coming around? Giuliani, does he like... Elephants, is that his favorite animal? Do you like elephants? I love elephants. They're my favorite animal outside of dogs. They're, yeah, they're not my favorite animal, but they are. Mine like, neither. No, I'm fucking around. They are. I love <laughs> elephants. I, I don't love want to get beat up. Yeah, no. I, uh, Jelani, the, he's a bodyguard in this. Um, he's a bodyguard for our, our main antagonist, and he doesn't really belong there, right? He's he's a guy with a rough past, but he's actually got a pretty virtuous personality. Yeah, he's not built like the rest of them, yeah, is he? He's yeah, a, mm-hmm. he's a good guy, and he just comes from a place where it's hard to be a good guy, right? The mm-hmm. world that he's been involved in and with his physical size, there's always been expectations for him to be something else. And he, he kind of, hopefully, in his short story arc, kind of redeems himself a little bit. But I wanted to show his his affinity for the animals because I think – at least for me, that's something that indicates a person's got 
like some virtue in their soul if they have sure. a soft spot for animals, absolutely, or yeah. if they have a soft spot for babies or they yep. got a soft spot for mm-hmm. whatever. So I, I I use that as more of a device to show you that like he's Jay's a good dude and he's just in kind of a weird situation. Yeah, mm. and that happens to us sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I just want you to know, um, Denzel Washington's in this book. Yeah, J- just the name alone. Perfect. He, he's yeah. a Denzel Washington fan, so I can play I love that Denzel. part. What's your favorite Denzel yeah. movie? Man on Fire. Oh mm. shit! That, and that makes sense. Man the Protector. On fire. Man the, on yeah. Fire is such an unbelievable. It's a great role for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I actually kind of the first time we saw him take that that like antihero turn, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a great role. Deep, mm. complicated role Creasy is, but that's my second favorite movie ever. Oh, so second what's number favorite? one? Braveheart. I mean, come on. Braveheart. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't give Gladiator a run for his money? I mean... Or Gladiator doesn't give it a run for his money? <laughs> sure. Gladiator belongs in everyone's top five or top ten, but Braveheart came before Gladiator and yeah. is kind yeah. of like set that whole paradigm sure. for the like historic, epic, violent movie. Yeah. When he gets a hold of that motherfucker that killed his wife yeah. and he just walks up and cuts his throat yep. and just stares at him, that Mel Gibson look... That's the look I love, man. That just those eyes, those <laughs> yes. crazy yeah. fucking eyes he does, that, man. I, yeah. the, you and I are having a moment right now. Let's go. Because <laughs> that is exa- that right there is exactly how I picture Aaron Dane every time shit's hitting the fan. Okay. Mm. Is he's just like, no, look me in my face uh-huh. and see what you did. Uh-huh. So, so who man. plays Aaron Dane in the movie? Once you get that script. I mean... I would like Idris Elba to play this role, but he's a little bit too old, okay. I think. So maybe um, he's – there's no specification in the book to Aaron's race. Right. Right? So I like the idea of Idris Elba or someone maybe like a Chadwick Boseman, someone who's a little bit mm-hmm. younger. Okay. Um, Michael B. Jordan could probably do it if he okay. was – he might be mm-hmm. too young. Uh-huh. Um, Tom Hardy is a little too short, but you can use camera angles to get rid of that. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. I think that he'd be good in that role. Um, yeah, I think it's funny because I have a lot of people sort of mentally cast, but Aaron Dane, there's two or three that I could really see playing that role. And there's those two or three, it'd be like if Hollywood came to me and said, we want to do this and we're going to have, you know. Marky Mark. We're going to have John, yeah. We're going to have Mark Wahlberg <laughs> yeah. play Aaron Dane. I'd be like, no, I'm not no selling, shit, you. I'm not selling not, you that story. You're not fucking up my book. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. we're not doing You're that. Shitty Boston accent, huh? <laughs> yeah. No five foot five little kid. <laughs> like, <No. laughs> so, so in your mind, as you write these, do you have the person playing it already? So I'm talking mannerisms and stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's, go, let's go to Brown. Uh-huh. Stoic. Yeah. Badass, allegedly, right? Right. All right. As you write that, do you say, okay, this is, I don't know, the Rock, for lack of a better person. Sure. The yeah. Rock talks a little bit too much from right. what I see with Brown. So, but Yeah, so the nice thing about Brown's character is he he hardly says a word. Right. Right, in the whole, like, that's not... So you don't need someone who's a good actor, basically. You don't need mm. someone who's a good speaker. You need someone who's scary. When do I need to be in shape? You Come need to... Tell me. <laughs> he's, uh, I'm he trying. said scary. I, 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 I yeah. can do it. I can do scary, and <laughs> I'll tell you a story. Let, can I, can I, uh, no, no. Hey, talking, show, show, talking no. Vin Diesel and uh, what's, what's Vin the, Diesel's not scary. No, 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 no. But he, what was the shows where he was uh, like in the dark and he was supposed to be scary and pitch black. And pitch black. Yes, yeah. thank you. And he's supposed to be mysterious and everything. He doesn't really say anything. He just fights and stares yeah. at people. I want to get back I'm to you, casting people, and I'm going to tell you a true story. Speaking of scary, here we go. I'm at Costco, and I don't know why these things happen to me at Costco. <laughs> okay. Last Sunday, I'm at Costco. <laughs> 
I'm in a suit. I just left the baby's baptism. Okay. So I'm G'd out. You know I look good in a suit. Don't have long and lean and shit. I look good. I got a purple tie on. Wood would like that. Anyhow, I'm there with my kid. We're in a parking lot walking in toward Costco. Now, what I do for people, what I do for the people to work there, if I see a shopping cart, I'll grab it and take it in. Mm-hmm. This lady, she just loaded her groceries. She's with her husband. She's taking a shopping cart over to the shopping cart corral. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to my kid, and I look over at her, and I go, I'll take that. She hands me her purse. True story. Are you joking? You should, I sw- Sean, I wouldn't lie to you. What? She hands me her purse. And I go, Was it- what the hell are you doing? You giving me your purse? And she's like, I, 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 I don't know. I go, what why are you doing hell? that? And her husband's standing there just like, yep, give him the purse. <laughs> yeah, seriously, he's standing there. <laughs> yep, go ahead, Dutt. I, go, I, I want to carry. Oh, I'm sorry. And she starts apologizing to me because of that. Yeah. That whatever yeah. happened there, I've never yeah. been white. I've never been a white woman. <laughs> but I understood what was going on there. Yeah. Again, I was in a tie. Not that if I was dressed like this today, that would make it any easier. No. She now, hold on. So the, the, this woman and her husband thought that this was a broad daylight Sunday afternoon Costco mugging. Well, it wasn't a mugging, it was a verbal assault, and she was so scared, <laughs> she yes. wanted to give me a purse. She, she, a black man in a tie is going to come she, up and Sean, just say, give when, me I that, say that, when I say she handed me a purse, she stuck it out like that. That's embarrassing. And, and I, yeah, thank you. Wow. Not that, for you, that's no, not embarrassing. No, not for me no. at all. That's embarrassing Absolutely. for white culture. It, it, it's embarrassing for <laughs> yeah. society, that that's still oh. her mindset. You know, and I tell some people, and it's funny to a degree, and as I get more past it, it'll be funnier. Sure. You know what I mean? But right then and there... I didn't, feel ins- you- I didn't feel insulted or anything. I was just, I was perplexed. Yeah. I was like, how do you get to that fucking point? Yeah, how do you get from, <laughs> how do you get from like, I'm unloading my groceries into the <laughs> minivan yeah. to, to, uh-oh, here, there's a big purse. scary black guy here, have my purse? Yeah. So about, about what age would you give her approximate? 45. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. Wow. It, it, that happened. And you can verify that through the runner. It, it, that shit yeah. really happened. I, I, I believe it. It, it just it <laughs> blows my mind that uh, wow. st- still now that, that's going on. Hey, like, it, because I, I would think if, if, if you walked up to me, I didn't know you, and you said, here, I'll take that. And I'd say, what? Because I could push this myself. I've done it hundreds of times to white people. And they and they've I'll given take that, you the and card. push me the card. Yeah. yeah. This woman, something happened in her life or her ideology is where it is as such. I'm going to go with ideology. I, yeah, I, I that bet, that I was bet, natural for her. I bet nothing has happened in her life. So that's a checkbox for me being able to play Browns. Fuck what Wood's saying. <laughs> okay. Look, I, I can play Browns. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Just because <laughs> some suburban soccer mom finds you scary. <laughs> Who's going to see your movie, damn it? Suburban <laughs> mom. <soccer> mom. <laughs> probably probably that, that corny-ass <laughs> husband. That was <laughs> Go ahead, honey. Give him the purse. God, Brown was terrifying. That Aaron Dane was good, but Brown was scary. <laughs> wow. He looked a lot like that guy who tried to steal your purse at Costco, honey. That's the story to tell him. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I, I wonder where that social yeah. media post is about how she was uh, almost mugged. Had would, it not been for her brave husband stepping oh, in. Yeah. My goodness. Stood right there. Yeah. Give yeah. it to him. I, I told the story to one buddy, and he goes, well, would you have been mad if she dropped to her knees? I said the way she looked, yeah, I would have been mad. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> What needs to happen is you need to go post up outside of that Costco every day until you can invite that couple onto this podcast and have them explain what the hell their thought you process was in them. Uh, there's times I wish I had a mic, man, where it I just throw it in people's faces just, like Just that. be like, wait, yeah. time out, time out, time out. Explain what had just happened in your head. But yeah. Let's walk I'm us sorry, through you don't, this. You here. don't get to play. He's colored. What, what do you think was the problem? <laughs> you don't get to play brown. I'm sorry. All right, so... Keep going with your casting in your head as you're so writing. So brown, brown's scary, right? So you can have 
Uh, I, you know, I'm in the mixed martial arts world, and there's a lot of scary looking dudes yeah. in the mixed yeah. martial arts world. Yeah. Like yeah. Vanderlei Silva is mm. a scary looking dude. Yoel Romero, you guys know Yoel Romero? I don't. Mm-mm. Okay, Yoel Romero is a 42 year old former Cuban Olympian. Um, he is as yoked as a 25-year-old. The dude, he has either perfect genetics or the best pharmacist on planet Earth. His <laughs> traps stick up, you know, four inches oh, off his yeah. shoulders, shaved head, square jaw. Heavyweight? He, he's, a, he's a middleweight, but yeah. he, well, I'm sure, walks around at about 240 muscle pounds when he's not in training. Say his name again. Yoel Romero, okay. Y-O-E-L. So Yoel Romero would be like the perfect man to play because he's got an accent. Brown's got an accent. Like Yoel Romero would be the perfect person to play because he doesn't have to say much, mm-hmm. but he can just stand there and look menacing. And, and convey the message. he can do his own stunts. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, he's got me beat. How old is he? He's like 42. God damn. I know. Ugh. Yeah, that. No, that's Tyron Woodley. No, no, no. That's you all remember. Yeah, that was the first one. The first one, one you showed sure. me? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you know him? I don't know him, but, you know, we know the same people. I could probably, if I'd said, hey, I want to put you in a Hollywood movie, he'd show up. Okay. So, I'd be behind him. You'd, yeah. Wouldn't <laughs> wait for my audition. He'd be a stand-in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what class did you say Brown he was in? gets thrown down he's the a, stairs he's and there like, that, guy, that guy cuts 185 pounds to fight. Damn. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So somebody uh, like like that, somebody mm-hmm. of that mold would be absolutely fantastic to play Brown, mm-hmm. who's just a scary, quiet, sort of brooding presence. Someone who doesn't have to deliver a lot of lines, but when they do, maybe you got a gravelly voice. Yoel Romero, perfect. All right, since you just mm-hmm. broke my heart and I can't be in your <laughs> fight scenes, <laughs> when, when was the first place you saw your movie? Like, when, not your movie, your book. When it got published. All right, did you go into stores? Did you go online and look for it? Oh, yeah. It's Barnes like, and Noble. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, online. So so the nice thing is it's published through Amazon, um, and Amazon sends you, like, a proof copy, mm-hmm. right? And so it just showed up in my house. I was like, hey, this is what it is. This is what it's going to wow. look like. This is how people are going to buy it. They designed the cover? Or did I you designed design the cover. That, that's actually, that right there, that's a tattoo that's on my left side. Oh, this is oh. your? Yeah. Oh, is, wow. it, is, it, is it angels? Is it angel wings? Yeah, it's an angel. How, can you not tell what that is? Well, I always thought it was stained glass. Don't get upset because yeah, I don't want to get my ass no, kicked. Uh, so. No, no, it's stained glass. So all of my tattoos are angels and they're stained glass themed. Okay. So that is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a stained so you glass. Were right. All right. Yeah. I'm actually, and maybe your mama didn't even do this, I'm probably your number one fan. Would you like to know why? Why? Because I'm stupid. I went to buy <laughs> your book. I went to buy your book and for some genius reason I pressed... Um, what is it? Notebook? What oh, it? you got the e-copy. I, yeah, and I'm waiting for it. And it so says you bought you, it twice. Your e-copy's yeah. ready. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, um, I don't have an iPad, I notebook, whatever. But you got... So I... <laughs> you laugh, and I'm putting money in your pocket. Way no, to treat your fans, I, right? I appreciate it, but you can... <laughs> your electronic copy works on that device sitting in front of you. Yeah, yeah, it does. He, uh, well, yeah. Is that an iPhone? You're welcome, anyway. Is that they, an iPhone? They, most <laughs> people would say you're welcome. So, and you're like, oh, you bought it twice? Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. you. He <laughs> also tells a story of somebody said, hey, here's my phone number. He says, I don't have a pen or a paper. And, he, and they say to him, 
You just put it in your phone. Yeah, you the, just put it in your phone. Yeah, this Mr. is the same guy we're talking about. Yeah. Mr. O'Connor from the 70s, okay? It's okay, <laughs> look, I appreciate you buying the book twice. If you do ever want to pull it out on your device, uh-huh. you have an electronic copy somewhere mm. in your possession. Yeah. So you, you just download <laughs> Kindle e-reader on the app on your on your uh, smart device. I use there. my phone for other things. That, that's <laughs> fine. When it's that's not so smart stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's all right, well, let's get to the fighting. What, what, what made you fight, man? Oh, man, I... Your brother's kicking your ass no, left and right. No, that never happened. I, I've been able to beat up my older brother since I was five, so... No wow. shit? I mean, he would dispute that, but... Uh, well, sure, he's the older brother. So since, <laughs> since you have an older brother... Um, and and once you got into fighting, did he ever challenge you once? No. Oh hell no. No, but so my you know, my older brother would. I love. Doesn't my brother. matter. I could be world class champion. He, my older brother, is an asshole, and he would challenge me. And funny enough, I really like your older brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my older brother is amazing. He's a great father, great person. Actually, just became a doctor of theology and philosophy. Mm. Just Religious this man. weekend, right on. Yeah, he just he That's just beautiful. got his his uh, PhD. Damn. So he really likes his book. Uh, he enjoys it. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's great, right? But he's also an old school big brother who feels like your little brother is supposed to listen to you, and he's your little right, brother right. is supposed yep. to follow your example, Correct. and your little brother is supposed to care about your opinion. He's and, right, mm-hmm. and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And I I honestly like I stopped caring about what he had to say about things literally when I was like seven. Rude right? on your part. Yeah. yeah that's, no, that's I'm a rude way it really person. Goes, but but yeah. So. It was a really, really difficult thing for him at first. He chose to be more of an academically leaning individual. He's actually a great natural athlete, but he didn't pursue any of that, right? And I did, even in high school. Like, I played football, wrestled, did all that stuff. And for him, it was hard to admit, like, my little brother is larger than me, stronger than me. Like, he can beat me up you know he couldn't do it he he was at college and he came home and we got in this argument i was just like you know i'm in wrestling season (laughs) (laughs) you see what he did with his body (laughs) i wish i could see that (laughs) i'm in wrestling season right i'm and i'm like you know he i'm a little bit bigger than him like about the same height but i'm thicker right Uh i'm lifting every day he's never lifted a day in his life and i and (laughs) but he is older than you he's older than me yeah he's my big brother and and i'm just like I will beat you in literally anything you want to do. Like, you want to go come down to the wrestling room, we can wrestle. You want to run a race, we can run a race. You want to do a bench press, we can do a bench press. Mm. And he just had a hard time, like, accepting that I'm physically superior to him. He's like, well, yeah. well mom and dad know me longer. I went at that. <laughs> they met me first. Like he, he Sean, your asshole. <laughs> I, think probably, I think probably until, like, halfway through my professional fighting career, not even in the early, like, parts of it, when I was a pretty hot prospect, but, like, Halfway through, I think he finally was just like, yeah, you know what? I don't think I can beat him up anymore. <laughs> See, but it took that long. It that's, took that long. That's what older brothers do. It's just Keith can attest to that. Yeah. I'm an older brother. Yeah, no, and it's like, <laughs> and, and again, like for me, I'm an older brother too, but I'm an older brother to a younger sister, so that's it's a different, different. dynamic. Yeah. And my, Can't touch her. Yeah, yep. my baby brother, he's so much younger than us. No shriek red net. And nope. also, you know, he's developmentally disabled yeah. so yeah. you can't so yeah. I can no. beat up you my little be brother like, you have to fight the older one if you're <laughs> yeah. gonna fight anybody yeah. yeah so yeah but it's, it's actually hilarious and, and you know we laugh about it now because we're both in our mid-30s and, and and well he's in his late 30s now but 
I laugh about it all the time, and he and his wife and I laugh about it. I'm like, yeah, how old, how old was Luke before my, his name's Luke? How old was Luke before he finally realized that he could not beat up his professional athlete fighter? Twenty nine. And she's just yeah. like, ah, maybe, maybe about your tenth fight. <laughs> That's that's the pride of an older brother. I tell you what, the that's early cool. the early ones, he's like, oh, I would have slipped that punch. Oh, he can get out of that. I can get out of exactly. that. Move like, your leg. Like Put how, your hips up. How many times did you did I need to render a large, muscular, <laughs> scary, trained man unconscious in front of you before you finally admitted to yourself, like, I probably shouldn't fight my younger brother anymore. But but then, at least in in my case, because I know my brother, I call him an asshole, but he's, and maybe he, yours is the same. Is there ever a moment that he? didn't support you in your endeavors so no 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 he's always like he's been super supportive he's uh, he's amazing and we we finally like we had a conversation several years ago where i was like look why do you care that i'm better at like this unimportant thing mm-hmm. like that i maybe had slightly better athletic career than you mm-hmm. like why do you care about that cuz you know i'm like dude you're mm-hmm. you got better grades than me you're married, you're an amazing father, like, all the things that matter in life, you're really good at, and I was not at that level yet, like, I was, you know, I had long string unsuccessful relationships, and, and, you know, not great grades, I was fine in school, but, like, I'm like, all the things that you've actually put effort into, you've been excellent at, why do you care that I can run faster than you, or that I'm stronger than you, if you lifted weights, you'd probably be stronger than me. Like, why do you care about this? And he finally was like, yeah, I don't know. Just because you're my little brother. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it. something That's profound. It. <laughs> no. That's what beat you at everything. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I guess because you're my little brother. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. So how would you get into the fight? Here you are. You're wrestling in high school. I'm going to assume you were good. I was okay. I was never spectacular as a wrestler. I focused way too much on football. I thought football was going to be my avenue to a – What position did you play? I was a linebacker. Ooh. You played to, some. You played some college ball. Yeah, but I was bad in college. I never really like. <laughs> okay. You know, I was, I was I was an ex. I was an all state high school player, and mm-hmm. I, so I thought. What state? <laughs> state of Utah. Okay. So I thought, like, you, you know what? You're from here. Uh, well, I moved here when I was nine. So, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I claim Utah. All um right. I thought, you know, I'm a good high school football player, so I'll be a good college football player, and then maybe if I'm good enough, I'll be a pro football player, or whatever, and like. Obviously, that's not how it goes. Sure. But, yeah, my uh, actually my unsatisfying college football career probably is part of what led me into fighting because I spent four years in college, only really played, like got on the field significantly one of those years. And I was just like, man, like I still, I still got this itch to compete. Okay. And, you know, I'm physically, like I'm healthy, I'm durable, I, I'm in shape, I'm young, and I've been watching – mixed martial arts, especially the uh, kind of the first season of The Ultimate Fighter, mm-hmm. and seeing that there were guys like me, kind of, like Chris Lieben, Forrest Griffin, these dudes who are... No Forrest Griffin. They're just tough dudes, right? They're not like... Like, if you if you are watching mixed martial arts now, and you're looking at the best guys, you're looking at, like, John Jones. Mm-hmm. If you're an average dude like me, you don't look at John Jones like, oh, yeah, I could beat that guy. Yeah. Dude, 6'5". Unless my name's yeah. Luke. Yeah. Unless my name's Luke <laughs> O'Connell. My older brother. <laughs> Yeah, so like, but the guys I was watching at first, I was just like, well, the reason he's good is because he can push harder than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I know about myself that I can push harder than everyone else because of my athletic career as it's progressed now, right? So I was like, I, I'm, I'm tough. I'm a tough guy. I'm going to try this fighting thing out. 
And then I took a fight and knocked a dude out in 30 seconds. And I took it. Yeah. First fight. Yeah. yeah, took a second fight. It was actually, I knocked that out, dude out in 37 seconds. I knocked the second dude out in 36 seconds and choked the third dude out. And like, I was off and running. So I just. But did you go in there blind and naked? Kind of. So, so what was your training? I mean, here you are, you're a wrestler, you're a football player. I'm a tough dude. I can beat up my older brother. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you get into the ring. Where's your training? You're choking out people. That takes some skill. But uh, uh, can I go one step prior to that and say, so at some point you got to decide you're going to start training. So do you, are you starting to train mixed martial arts to go fight, or are you starting to train because it's something you wanted to do and enjoy? For the itch. Yeah. Or was it initially because you wanted to go fight? No, I... So my initial training was just going to like kickboxing, like cardio kickboxing mm-hmm, classes mm-hmm. and hitting the bag. Like my training was nothing at, at the start. And then I decided I wanted to fight. And so I would like call some of my buddies, um, our buddy Liam, that, okay. you mm-hmm. know, like, hey, you know, come wrestle with me. And let's, you know, my old wrestling buddies. Hey, let's let's get together, find a room somewhere and let's wrestle. And a couple of guys I worked with were into it. And they're just like, yeah, we'll come. So I was just like a ragtag group of dudes. Sometimes, literally, we couldn't find a wrestling room. We couldn't find a room, period. We'd go to Sugar House Park and <laughs> wrestle each other in the grass. Mm. Cops would show up and just be like, uh, what's going on? We'd be like, oh, we're just training. And they'd be like, all right. And they'd kind of sit around and watch. Every once in a while, they'd be like, oh, try this. You know, because cops have their, I guess, hand-to-hand combat training or something. Okay. And like, they were just like, yeah, cool, okay. So it was just raw and rank and terrible. I mean, I, I don't think I was good at fighting until probably my 12th fight. But And how, how long into your career is that? That's two years. Had wow. you taken an L? Oh, yeah. In, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I took, an, I took an L, kind of a weird, like, bad referee stoppage in my fourth fight. Okay. But, um, yeah, I won... I won my first. I won my first three, and then I lost my fourth, and then I won f- five more in a row after that. Damn. And then, yeah, and then I, uh, <laughs> and then it was like, okay, so I won. I won five more after that, and I won the heavyweight belt, such as it was in Utah at the time. Okay, the level of competition, please consider, was not great, <laughs> but I won, right? So I thought uh, I was cool. Roughly, what year was that? This was in two thousand seven. Okay, and then my um, one of the things like. Because I won that that belt, people were starting to pay attention, like, locally, local businesses and stuff like that. And a friend of mine uh, who I had met working in the bar, he was a regular at this bar at the club I worked at. And he was a um, retired police officer, retired military guy who ran a private security company. Okay. And he was just like, dude, I really think you can be good at this. And I was like, I can't afford to go train at one of these gyms that costs. Mm -hmm. And I was broke at the time. I was 23 years old and didn't have money. Yeah. I was like, I can't pay 150 bucks a month for one of these jujitsu gyms or whatever. And he's like, well, who do you want to train with? And I was like, I want to train with Jeremy Horn. Mm. I want to train at Elite Performance. That's where all the good fighters are. He fought this. This is not too long after Jeremy fought Chuck Liddell for the UFC belt. He lost that fight. Shit, we had him 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 on here. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you know Jeremy. I mean, he's a legend, right? And well, he I, sat in front of me. I didn't get to know him because, <laughs> like you, I was sweating the whole time, you know, <laughs> nervous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so I was like, I want to train with Jeremy. And he's like, all right, well, if you win this belt, I, I'll pay for your first year of training at, at Horn's Place, which is like $1,500 for the year or something. Okay. And I was like, wow, really? He's like, yeah. So I went and I won that belt. And he's like, okay. And he paid Jeremy for my first year of training. 
And I, we were off and running after that. And I was like, cool. Now I'm trading with real guys. I'm like excellent here. I'm right. in a good situation. I'm running like a five fight winning streak. I'm I'm the hottest prospect in in Utah. And how people, was it? How was the ego? His way up. There. It, I could just t- tell. Inflated, yeah. like crazy inflated, right? Because yeah, I'm waiting for the end. Then and then, no, yeah, <laughs> no, and, and, and you're absolutely yeah. right. So, so and then, so, so Jeremy is like, okay, we're we're gonna put you in the main event on this card we're doing, and this is you know I've trained with him now for three or four months. We're gonna put you as the main event to this card because you know people enjoyed watching my fights. They like the slobber knocker knockout mm-hmm. type stuff, right? And he's just like, yeah, we're gonna put you in the main event against a guy named Hank Weiss, who's like kind of just a wily vet. He's super super experienced, like nothing special athletically, obviously, but just a really like an experienced tough guy. And Jeremy's like, yeah, you're and you're gonna fight. You're gonna stop being a heavyweight because you're not a heavyweight. You're gonna be a 205er. Okay. You're going to cut some weight for real. You're going to take this seriously, and we're going to start building your career, and maybe you can be in the UFC. I was like, okay, cool. So I fought this dude, Hank Weiss, who's like, Hank's tough. Uh, he, I never, never should have, you know, got beat by Hank Weiss, but okay. I kicked his ass in the first round. He kept trying to take me down. He's a jujitsu guy. I stuffed every takedown, landing combinations, but Hank's a tough dude that he can take all the damage in the world, and he'll just keep coming at you, and... Second round, Hank Weiss walks out, out of the corner, fakes like he's shooting for my legs, chucks an overhand right, closes his eyes, chucks an overhand right, puts me to sleep. Damn. Huh. So, Damn. Well, I mean, a great learning experience, yeah, right? Yeah. In hindsight, everything's fine. But in that moment, in that time in my life, I was supposed to be the next big thing. Yeah. And this dude who's just a guy knocked me out. He's not like, if he would have submitted me, I could have given myself a pass and been like, well, he's like a black belt in jujitsu and I'm just getting started. He knocked me out, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) And like the kind of stupid knockout where you don't wake up for like 35, 40 seconds. So you just fell straight down like a collapse. Like, Like, oh "Oh, shit, is his knee okay? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, my arm's going stiff and I'm. Blowing snot bubbles as I'm waking up. I'll just the worst, oh. the worst thing going, right? So, yeah, that, you know. So, um, no, hang on. Okay. What, what'd your corner say? What'd your corner say with that? Did they talk to you about the arrogance? Should you have seen that punch coming? You said it was lucky, eyes closed, wild punch. Well, no, it wasn't lucky. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. He faked a shot. Okay. Knowing I would drop my hands. Because that's exactly what had what happened. Been the whole, doing. What the whole been first round, he'd been up. shooting. I've been stuffing his shots, you know. And so he was a much more experienced guy, and he was just like, watch this, hop, boom. Uh, and so, yeah, like, like the, Jeremy, if Jeremy's your coach or in your corner, he's just like, all right, well, we'll get the next one. Okay. He's all got right. 150 fights, and he, he knows that you yeah. live to fight another day. It's gotcha. no big deal. But For me, six months later, uh, I, this is, of course, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Six months later, you go with him again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's a little different outcome. Well, yeah, I beat him that time. Um, but even that was an important learning experience because – I was, I'm was. i a better fighter. I always was a better fighter than Hank. He's more experienced than me, but I've always been more talented. Like, But because of what had happened in the first one, I fought very conservatively, very safe in the second one. Yeah. I dominated a decision, but it sucked. Like, it was boring. It wasn't, mm. you know, people didn't enjoy watching it. And so I learned from that, like, you can't be gun-shy. Just because somebody beats you, you can't be gun-shy. That's what I was going to ask you. We're yeah. scared of making a mistake. Exactly. What you were doing. So I fought tight the whole time, and I, I mean, I, made, I beat him. He didn't threaten me at all in that fight, but 
I didn't have a satisfying fight, you yeah. know. It doesn't sound like you felt like, yeah, oh, yeah, I got your back. That's that didn't one really of those, redeem the like, loss. It was just like, yeah, okay, yeah, like okay. I just went out Moving and put on. on kind of like a sort of a, okay, this is the job. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to mm. get the win because I need the win, but it wasn't. So, yeah, that was, I mean, it was all a great learning experience. You didn't get a chance to get him a third time. Well, no, I mean, there's no reason to fight him a third time. He, I, I progressed in my career, and okay. he just stayed as Degress. like, yeah, he just, he's just a local guy. You know, he's, I think he's got like five kids. He, I'm sure he's successful in what he's doing right now, but fighting was not a path that he took seriously. Sure, but he's to, still talking calm to the person in a parking lot that's fighting him over a parking spot. Sure, he, he's real calm with <laughs> yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah, no, okay. like, like Hank's a, he's an interesting character. Like you can't scare that dude. I don't, I mean, he's, he's a tough dude. And I mean, if I if I ran into him today, he'd be like, "Yeah, I'll fight you again," because he's confident and mm-hmm, he yeah. knows his abilities and stuff. And mm-hmm. like, if we fought again, I'd whoop his ass. But it doesn't matter because he's you know he's a tough guy and he'd, right. he'd he'd take it take his medicine. Did you see the kid? The, the le, le, well, let me start over. Did you see the white kid run a hundred yard dash? It did and beat yeah. the shit out of the brothers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, it, okay. That's the elephant in the room. Let's I, talk about I, that. That I, shit doesn't happen. You know, no. you know it, and I know it. Yeah, and that motherfucker was moving and yeah. and <clears throat> set a set a record. Yeah, yeah. The fastest hundred ever run. A nation under ten seconds, which is incredible. Flying, and then immediately because he wins it, there has to be a reason. What? Right? What was the reason? Wind dated. Yep. The wind was at his back. And one was at everybody else's back, too. Exactly. It won't run the other direction. Not only that, who gives a shit? Because I think the other thing was he was four-tenths of a second behind Usain Bolt. Uh-uh. I didn't hear that. Holy shit. That's yeah, kids that's bl- moving. I don't care it. if the wind's at your back or not. My ass isn't doing that. No, hell no. No, it's going to take me a while to get there. You can put me on a bicycle and I can't beat that kid. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. You don't that see was that incredible. shit. No. Yeah. And... and and to for to go along with your point, a white kid. That's exactly my point. Because in the Olympics, I I watch those and I enjoy that sport. You're not picking a white dude. N- never. No. Because no. he probably doesn't even make it to the quarterfinals. No. You're fast in Sweden. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're, and he's gonna re- he's gonna represent Sweden. You're gonna run once and be done. You're not gonna pass. And he, that was incredible. Here's what oh, I did yeah. the other day. All right. Now now we got our our, our conversation going here about <laughs> things that are weird. I'm at a burger joint the other day, not like McDonald's Burger King. This is like one of those, you know, you wait in line for a burger. You go up there, yeah. and, hey, number 29, you know, it's well-known up here in this area. Is I sit it, down is next it to an this outside dude. establishment? Bingo. Okay. Well-known, and I, I sit next to this dude. I, I order my food. I, I sit down next to him. I did I, I, I know. <laughs> and he's got on bedazzled jeans. Yeah. Right? Cool. Right. So he's kind of in a time warp. They're not yeah. jeans. I take that back. He's got on bedazzled shorts. Oh, he's got man. a spider web tattoo on, uh-huh. okay? Cool. So, and he's bald-headed white dude. I said to myself, <laughs> eh, what's that? And I see uh, SAC on his neck. Mm-hmm. I go and sit down next to him, strike up a conversation with him. At first, he really doesn't want to talk. Sure. But then we just start talking because we're just human beings, you know right. what I mean? Uh-huh. And he's with this probably 12-year-old kid. And the 12-year-old kid's looking at him like, you don't talk to people like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we're actually having a conversation, man. And, and, and the weird part about it is... We're all just people. You know what yeah. I mean? And we're sitting there talking. And I says, uh, during the conversation, I said, how long were you down for? Because I can tell by the way he's dressed yeah. that, you know, those aren't. <laughs> he was away for a minute. He was away for a while. <laughs> yeah. He told me 15 years. He said yeah, he just got out a couple months ago, you yeah, know. Yeah. And we're just shit, sitting there shooting the shit. And he goes, I know I look this way. He goes, but I had to do this. Which is understandable. You go to jail. What if we both went to prison? Yeah. <laughs> I might, 
you know, give you a little hand just across the yard. Yeah, give we, me a little, we can't yeah. hang out. That's just the way it is. Right. And it's just weird what you have to do to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, which again brings me full circle back to your book. Okay. Yeah. All right. The, the things that the people in the book have to do to move on and survive that, uh-huh. that perseverance. I would think your athletic ability and, and the, the, the trials and tribulations you've gone through. Some of them you just talked about in sure. terms of fighting and learning experiences. Just what a person is willing to do to survive. Yeah. All right. Um, the military experience of it. Do you have anybody in your family that's in the military? Uh, my grandfather's both served. One was a Marine. One was in the Air Force. Okay. Um, and, you know, I got a bunch of friends. But, uh-huh. And uh, one of my cousins is currently uh, an A-10 pilot in the Air Force. A-10. Mm-hmm. What does A-10 mean? The Warthogs, the um, tank bus and their oh, okay. uh, fighter plane. Yeah. yeah. But not like, they're the ugly ones. The the low-flying, slow, yeah. big 100-millimeter 100, 100 guns on them. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. This this book for me, and there's not a victim in your book that I that I saw. Right. I, that That's a mainstay. I mean, of course, there's some victims, but I mean, the main people, for me, weren't victims. Right. I guess I'm stuck. <laughs> I thought you'd have more. <laughs> well, look. So, a lot of times when you're when you're talking about an action story or a sci-fi story like this is kind of action sci-fi religious leanings, but the main theme of the book is just like that survival thing you're talking about, yes, here, right? But the supernatural elements, the the um, the compelling like the superhero parts of it. Are the angels and and the the fallen the demon people right? But to me, the more interesting story is like, well, what about Aaron? What about everyone else who's just trying to get by? Yes, because mm-hmm. I think that I mean it's easy to tell the story of like the true hero, the angel with the right. wings and the superhuman strength and whatever. It's easy because you know the outcome typically. Yeah, yeah it's it's easy. easy to tell about. The, the devil villain, right? right? The bad, like, the just all the way bad guy um, or bad girl or whatever. It's easy to tell those stories. It's easy to frame those characters. It's harder and more interesting, more compelling, I think, to read it from the perspective of someone who's like, okay, well, I got a bunch of friends who are heroes here, who mm-hmm. are the angels. Mm-hmm. So I guess that naturally I'm going to side with them, but I also got a kid I got to take care of but I have a certain skill set that makes me valuable to this conflict. And like, there's an internal conflict for Aaron, our, our main character who's like, well, my best friend is an angel. Some other people very close to me in my life are angels. Why, why was I not right? Like, cause no one really knows what the selection process is, what the criteria mm-hmm. are, like why people, they kind of figure it out, right? Sure. So why do some people turn out this way and other people are really, really bad? So I guess he's just kind of like, okay, at least I'm not a bad guy, but he's also like, why am I not really one of the good guys? And to me, that's a lot more interesting. And that's why I wrote it with, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of characters in here, but the main character of this book is Aaron Dane. Right. And he's a guy who's just trying to get by. So you, when you had the ego back in the day and you're kicking everybody's ass and you're on your way up and all that stuff, looking back now and, and the person you are today, because nobody, you're in mid-30s, you're retired now, whatever, you're not that person that you were at 30 or 25 right. or 20. Do you look back on that now and are you cosmic of, of, of who the interactions you have or what type of interactions you have and who you have them with? I, I, you know what I mean? So yeah. say, you, say you get a little kid whose father... Followed you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's like, Oh, that is that's the real Ocita Sean O'Connell. 
and you're busy. You're with your family. You're doing mm-hmm. whatever. And the kid walks up and asks you for an autograph. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Is, is that is that a notch on the good or the bad, depending upon how you act like with, well, with think, that kid? Yeah. Do, does think, it all add up, or is it just the totality? No, it definitely all adds up, right? But I think yeah, that's the kind of stuff that matters, right? Um, that 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 indicates. It's cliche, but your character oftentimes is determined by what you do for the people that can't do anything for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? My father told me that. Like, yeah. it's super easy to do favors for someone who can give you a job mm-hmm. later down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or get you a big fight or put, right. put your yeah. book in a movie. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not always as easy to take time and energy and effort and whatever else to help out people or to, to, you know, just offer a small gesture of kindness or generosity or whatever to people who will never be able to reciprocate. They'll never be able to do anything for you. But, you know, the way my parents raised me and, and, you know, I'll admit there were a lot of times where I strayed from, from that correct priority and mindset. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm at a better place in my life and now that I think I've, you know, got to set a more important example, I got a newborn kid, right? Like, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I, those things are important to me now. And so if that scenario happens and it, it's extremely rare where someone comes up and recognizes <laughs> me and wants to have anything to do with me, but if and when it does happen, I always take the time. I've, I've never, I can honestly say that I've never said, oh, no, 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 I'm not taking a picture with you. Sure. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. And you know, like that's just, you know. So, so you, I, you won't have a problem signing my book then? No, not at all. <laughs> you, you won't have a problem writing, hey, to Keith, I remember that time you kicked my ass. Um, I will. Have, I, you, I don't want to be dishonest. <laughs> oh, he's you, not, you he's not a liar. With that? You yeah. You're yeah. not gonna write. Okay, we're trying right. to. We're trying to be honest. I'm just re- <laughs> I was just reaching out. You know, maybe I get you in a good mood. So, with 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 your fighting, you worked years to get to where you were on last uh, New Year's Eve. Yeah. Right. You win. It, I mean, and the purse there was amazing. You had to have a sense of accomplishment that I, I I've. I dream about in, in uh, different aspects of my life to have that accomplishment. You also now have this book that you've posted, you've written, you've published it. It's your work. It's, you've held on to it for so many years, of, and it's out. Forever. Yeah, yeah so, it's awesome. So which to you, or maybe they're the same, I don't know, but which to you felt like I finally got to where I wanted to be with this thing or, or makes you feel more proud to have achieved because you put so much work. You put a lot of work into both of them. Yeah. yeah. Diff- yeah. Different. But, very different. But I guess there's more – I look at them a little bit differently. Like for the fighting thing, now that I've retired, right, there's mm-hmm. more finality to that. It's like it was great to put a punctuation mark and a positive one on right. my fighting career with a win, a belt, uh, because, the biggest payday of my career by a long stretch. Because you and everyone knew you were retiring after that fight. Pretty much, yeah. Right. Oh, okay. I didn't know you had made that decision beforehand. Yeah, I'd made that decision. I you know I talked about it with um, my wife and a little bit with my my close training partners and friends and coaches um, who, look, a lot of times fighters will say, yeah, I'm going to be right. done after this, and then they come back six months later. Sure, Ray Leonard. So, yeah. <laughs> but, like, for me and, and for my wife who, you know, she when, when I signed up for this tournament and, you know, first season of the PFL, like, when she got on board, I was like, look, this is a million dollars at the end of the year. This is five fights this year. If we can ride this out and I can do this, it'll change some things and it'll be yeah. worth it. And she was like, yeah, but, man, I don't want, like, you've already taken a lot of damage. I don't want your head to be a problem Because I imagine she life. suffers as much or more probably than you do through and those. Watching, watching people you care about lose at something they care that they have put a lot of effort into – 
never mind the physical side of it, right? Right. But watching, like, you were just talking about, you know, you got a kid in an athletic endeavor. You you watch them, you support them, you're proud of them. If they're disappointed in their performance oh. or whatever, it kills you. Yes. Right? Yes. And it's the same if it's your training partner. It's the same if it's your brother, your friend, your sister, whatever. Mm-hmm. So... For my wife to have to watch, like, I lost a fight. I got my ass kicked, right? I got embarrassed sure. on TV. Like, and, and to watch what that does to me, because, like, I still have that ego sure. where it, that stuff cuts me. Like, yeah. I can take a punch, fine. You can physically hurt me, I don't care. But failure was, like, watching me fail was hard for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And watching how I acted after I failed was hard for her, right? <laughs> So, um, yeah, so like. <laughs> Reminds me of Creed, too. That's on. You know that, I mean? You're right. That, that's yeah. a good analogy or a good yeah. comparison right there. That, that's, it's, it's what it does to you and it, it morphs you right. a little bit because yeah. you have yeah. so much weighing on you and we're all men. I mean, yeah. if you, my girl was here early, if you kicked my ass in front of my girl, I'd still get up and talk shit and you'd knock me out again because <laughs> I got my girl there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah. You know, so you got that in front of it as well. Yeah. Right. And it, so it's tough and it's, it was hard on her and, and she doesn't come from that world, right? She, she, she was not before we got together. She was not around the fight world. She was not involved. She's an athlete herself. She played college soccer, so she gets that competitive side right. of it. Uh, but I'll tell you this, uh, to empathize with her, I suppose, uh, and I've, to- I've told this story. I went to one of Liam's fights, yeah. and um, I'm a runner, so my heart rate generally stays really low. My resting heart rate is in the low 50s. Yeah. So when I'm running, it's, I don't know, 140-ish. When I'm watching him fight, I'm at 170, 175, yeah. up to 190. And I'm not doing a thing but sitting there. So I can't imagine if he and I were intimate and, you know, then I, it might be up over 200. I'd pass out and die. Yeah. So like, And, and he's just my buddy. So, <laughs> so. And he, he's a great example, yeah. right? We're all friends with this guy. And real, real quick, he said you're the hottest punch he's ever taken in his life. Well, well. Yeah. We, he was our first mask <laughs> off, as a yeah. matter of fact. Yeah, and I asked him how, the hardest he's ever been punched, and he said it was you. That's good. I'm, yeah. I'm flattered. And then that. at that point, I said, I'm going to sit as far away from him as I can if we ever have him on this show, but, and here I am. Yeah, so the, he was, he's been my primary corner, uh, aside from Coach Horn, right? Mm-hmm. He's been my primary corner for over half of my career. He's one of my best friends in the world. We're more like brothers than friends. Mm-hmm. We've trained together for years. I've cornered his fights. And it's harder from like a mental and emotional standpoint to watch and coach him and corner him through his fights than it is to do it myself because I know how much weight he puts on it. I know mm-hmm. how hard he is on himself mm-hmm. if he doesn't perform. Even if he wins and he doesn't perform that well, he's yeah. very unsatisfied, right? right? So I kind of know that. I know what it's like to be in that role. And so for my wife and for my family, you know, my mom, my mom is like yeah. anti-violence basically. She was just like, my mom has never seen me fight. She was like, yeah. I cannot watch I can, this. I can get behind. Well, I can yeah, understand that. And that, that. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. she's like, I, my dad came around, and like he watched my second fight, watched me knock out this Drago-looking dude, and he's like, <laughs> okay, that was cool, but that's scary. I don't know if I'm really into it. Because if you've ever watched one of your own children get hurt, I understand that. And if you win. Even yeah. if you win, you get yeah, hit. And, and There's by the no, way, nothing more terrifying. For your loved ones, my style is the absolute worst because I <laughs> just like stand in the pocket and I get my ass kicked and I take punches. Yeah, oh, don't too you? much. <laughs> too much. Like, like my style is the worst for all the people You ain't so care. bad. You ain't so bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, to, to, you know, we had a serious discussion to put my family through that continuously, to put my wife through mm-hmm. that. I was just like, look, if I can go out on a high note, which very few people in athletics, much less fighting, mm-hmm. very few people take the opportunities and go out on a win. 
right? Like you can name you get, the ones, you can name the guys easily. Like you're okay, well, well, because they we get that LA, win. We got, we got Ray Lewis and mm-hmm. like Barry Sanders left at his prime. He didn't wait for everything. My favorite athlete, professional athlete ever, Jerry Rice. You know how mm. Jerry Rice's NFL career ended? Like shit. Yeah. He got cut by the Seahawks and the Broncos. Yeah. 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 Right. Like. Yeah. And and yeah. he's the best to ever do it. Yeah. And so like to to take the opportunity, and this presented me like with as much of a storybook ending as someone like me is ever going to get. So I had to take that opportunity. Will I get an itch to fight again someday? Probably, maybe. But I have the people around me, and I'm accountable to enough people who have promised that I'm done. Yeah, that I I, I won't do it. And yeah. and um, I imagine that uh, you know talking to you a little bit before this, we started talking on this and that. Seems like you've got a lot of other things going to maybe hopefully curb that itch a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And look, the writing thing is as fulfilling to me. And that's why I asked. Yeah, yeah and like I'm glad this. you did because, like, I mean, I, I guess I started this extremely long-winded answer. Um, <laughs> you're good. You're good. But, like, the fighting thing was that exclamation point, okay, you got a chance and t- you went out on a high note. And the writing thing is something I will never be able to perfect. I will never achieve the mountaintop. Like, it's not even possible. Right. What, mm-hmm. is, what is the mountaintop? Like, no, no, yeah. you, you write a Harry Potter-type book and there's, you know, you sell a billion copies. Well, unless... You're out she's still writing, though. Exactly. So, so yeah. she's not done. It's something that you can always keep doing, and it's a challenge that will always be there. And mm-hmm. and honestly, like it's it's as much of a grind. It's more of a grind for me than uh, than fighting and training for fights because no one gives a shit if I don't put out another book. No one cares. I'm the only person who's account- like I'm only accountable to myself, right. and like yeah. you know my my parents want to see me finish another one. Hopefully, you want to see me finish another one. But like in the fight world, it's like, look, man, we're gonna pay you. You're gonna right. come and fight, and you're gonna win, or you're gonna lose. But we're gonna pay you. There's gonna be people watching you. You have sponsors, like so. You're accountable to all these. You got coaches and stuff like that. If I never sit down and type or write another word, no one's gonna care except Didn't me. Even matter, right? So. I could just, you know, take the easy way and not do it and not put myself out there and open myself to criticism of people who might not like what I'm writing or whatever. But that's not who I am. So because of of my desire to stay relevant or to keep myself interested or whatever else, I'm going to keep writing and keep challenging myself that way. I got to pee. All right. All that aside or not aside, all that in front of us, million dollar fight. All right, so you win whatever you do to get to the million dollar fight. It's almost like the White Man Can't Jump movie where they're playing for the $5,000. You know that game is coming <laughs> yeah. up, yeah. right? So you get nervous. It's just a game. It's just a fight. I say that because, you know, nobody's punching me in the face. But sure. it's $4 million. Uh-huh. Preparation for that has to be the same. How do you stay how, – how do you stay – how do you keep your wherewithal? You know, because you, you think nerves. about it. It's a million dollars. Yeah, the how do you keep nerves. your nerves in check? Yeah, you, and you try and keep everything the same. You want to eat the same meal, same sleep, same all that. So for me, I've always like there are some people who don't feel the nerves and don't feel the fear and don't feel the whatever that comes with being a professional fighter. I that always seems crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I always have though. Like, and one thing I thought I, I did myself a favor by just riding the wave. Like, there's a roller coaster emotionally leading up to a fight. Going through camp, there's roller coasters where like. There's plenty of days where that second training session of the day where 
in my case, I was fighting a jiu-jitsu specialist, right? Vinny Magalhães is one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners literally in the world. He has won world championships on the mat before. So I was like, if I'm going to get ready for this dude, I got to go to the gym and I got to get the baddest-ass training partners I can find, mm-hmm. a bunch of black belts, and I have to train with them on my second training session of the day. Mm-hmm. And I got to go a fresh partner every round. Like, these guys are going to murder me all night long. I got to go through two hours of this after I already went through a training session this morning, a regular day of work. Training session filled with what? What is that morning training session like? Lifting and conditioning or just pad work, bag work, that kind of stuff, right? Just Two hours? uh, The morning one, usually about 90 minutes. Okay. And then work your job during the day. And then... Oh, you did a regular so, job? Well, just, I mean, I don't... Like, so I, I worked in radio, oh, right? Okay. So, <laughs> okay. That's the middle one. We had yeah. the fighting, the radio. Okay, we'll get yeah, to the yeah. radio. So, the, yeah, I did radio. So, uh-huh. it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm digging ditches for a okay. fight. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, you're, you're still, you know, you're work, going to an office and working a job. You had to go be thing. dialed in somewhere. Yeah, and then you go back to the gym and you're... <laughs> in my case, it was... Um, Three guys who are far more experienced grapplers than me, who are 250-plus pounds, who are just going to kill me, and then a couple guys about my size, and then one guy who's, like, my exact same size. They have my same level of experience, but he's, you know, so it's just like, okay, you know, I got six dudes who are going to make my life miserable tonight, Uh and you just have to be willing to go through it, and you have to be willing knowing that that pot of gold's at the end of the rainbow. Like, well, I can skip tonight. But then if I'm sitting there, you know, if I get the runners up purse was $200,000, which is still great. But if I'm riding home on the plane from New York City with a $200,000 check instead of a million dollar check, and I'm saying, you know what, you know what, I skipped those three training sessions. That's what bit me in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if that had nothing to do with it. How could you ever get over it? It had everything to do with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Even if realistically, like if, you know. He comes out and knocks me out in five seconds. Right. It has nothing to do with me skipping training sessions. But in your head, <laughs> like in, my, in your head, psyche. you just be like, well, it wouldn't happen if I would have showed up, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, like, you just had to keep that, had to keep that vision of, of what could potentially be, you know, the, the positive outcome. Like, all right, well, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to lift. I'm going to go spar tonight. I'm going to go grapple tonight with these dudes who are way better than me. Yeah. And it's going to suck, but... It's going to be worth it if I win this million. How much time did you have to prepare for that million-dollar fight? About six weeks because it's the— I thought you were going to say five months. months. Well, no, I mean the whole season was like yeah, from you June. So you're preparing you're the whole season fighting. for that. But yeah, when, yeah. when you're looking at—so you win the last fight. So between the last fight to get to the million-dollar and the million-dollar fight is six weeks. Yeah, That's a month from, and a half. That's not a lot of time. Well, hold on. Is it—no, it's more like—I guess it was more like— 10 weeks because it was from mid-october to new year's eve okay okay yeah that's a little better yeah it's a little better so yeah you fought (laughs) two times in one night for the quarterfinals and semifinals in october wow and then if you won both of those fights you were in the championship on new year's eve so you got to find the right balance of okay i've just gone through another training camp and now two fights in one night i can let my body rest a little bit and and heal from whatever bumps and bruises I've accumulated over these last, you know, six months and four fights. Mm-hmm. And then I got to get ready and do a real fight camp for 
the best fighter I've ever, you know, gone up against. So, so, so now it's December 31st. You walk in. It's Madison Square Garden. Yeah. That's a big deal. Um, anybody that knows sports knows Madison Square Garden's legit. They call, us the, they call it the Mecca. Yeah. I'm from Boston. That's New York. It's like, you know, whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> they call it the Mecca. Yeah. Who from your family came? Did your brother come? Everybody. Not, you, you, your mom, mom didn't, didn't come. come your mom didn't fight. come. My mom came to the city. So sure. she could she watched my sister's kids so that <laughs> yeah. so it was the best. Thing. So everyone else could mom go. got she to hang out that. with the grandkids, right? Yeah. So and, it was a win she, for her. And she was as close as she could be yeah. mentally for her. Yeah. yeah. So she was right. So she was you know there in support, mm-hmm. and then uh, allowed my my sister, my brother in law, my older brother came, my younger brother and my dad came, my my wife and her family. Came my father in law invited his entire neighborhood, <laughs> um, all of my friends that I grew up with, like my my old high school buddies and some of so, them elementary school buddies. All that weight. That, so is there an added it, pressure? I was with just gonna say, it sounds like you're putting bricks people. on a cart. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, it's it, it goes both ways, right? Because it's like there were like a hundred, hundred and five people that had made the trip. To New York City Oof. on New Year's Eve for you to watch me fight. Yeah. Which well, let's not let's not skirt over that New York on New Year's Eve is a bad time. No, and, right. Yeah. So it's a great time so, for them to be yeah. there. It's also the most expensive time for you to be in New York. That City. is true. And this too. is eighteen to nineteen, two thousand eighteen to two thousand nineteen. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, months ago. Yeah, this is just whatever five months ago. So all these people that you know. The majority of them I've known for either my whole life, in the case of my family, or like, you know, when I first moved to Utah or whatever. Like, the people that I've known forever, some people that are just gym friends of mine, some people that, you know, my, my wife's neighbors came. I don't even know these people, <laughs> right? They were just there because it was New York on New right, Year's Eve. Right. But, like, but the fact of the matter is but I had— they feel an association to you through her. Right, and I had 100, you know, plus people wearing a T-shirt with my name on it. Mm. And when I walked out, so, like, I was nervous as hell. I'm usually not crazy nervous. Like, I feel the nerves and whatever. Sure. But I just get over it. I ride the I ride the roller coaster, like, oh, man, there's a little anxiety. And then I turn on the TV, watch Sports Center, and it goes away, and I'm fine. Like, that's fight week, right? You just kind of go up and down, make sure you're hydrated, make sure you're rested, whatever. That week, it was like the gravity of the whole situation was hitting me pretty, like, pretty hard all week long. Like, I had a hard time sleeping, which is never a problem for me. I was way more nervous than I usually am. Yes, but then fight night when we got there, and you start like you know you start warming up. You put on your sweats and you put on some gloves and you hit the pads. Talk to coach about those final little tweaks you want to make, and you know Liam's there hanging out with. Is Horn your coach? Yeah, for this fight. All right, so you yeah you're a loyal dude. You kept everybody right with you. Yeah, which a lot of guys. They feel like they got to get cute and creative, and mm-hmm. they go like you get to a certain level. It's like, oh well, I I got to go to a bigger gym. I got to go train with a place that's got all these UFC yeah. guys and whatever. And that like, there's merit to that, I guess. But in, until you're the best dude in your gym, until no one can test you, you don't need to go somewhere else. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you you can't get in better shape training at Randy Couture's gym than you can train at Jeremy Horn's gym. Right. You just got to be willing to put in the work. Mm-hmm. So. I yeah I, I kept the same people for the most part and when we actually started to like get back into the rhythm of like okay it's fight night mm-hmm. I started to feel like I don't know just something else I was just like it's gonna happen tonight like this is gonna be a big night it's gonna be a great fight like this is gonna be I started feeling good and oh, then shit. 
they stage you, right? They walk you out of the locker rooms, and an athletic member of the athletic commission comes to grab you, and they walk you out. A security person is with them to help walk you out. Usually it's an off-duty cop or something like that. Someone from the PFL, or if you're fighting in the UFC, it's the UFC. All these people, and there's like your entourage, your people, your coach in your corner. Mm-hmm. And then like three or four people that work for whoever, the arena, the state, the, the company. They come, and you're kind of walking through, and they stage you. And it's always weird because you're staged next to each other or, like, front and back, right? Like, I'm walking out first, so his crew is standing, like, They're just waiting 15 to follow feet you. behind us. Yeah. Do you hate him? I don't hate him. You don't hate him? I don't hate him at all. Okay. I mean, he just, I don't care about him. I'm like, I'm going to, you know. Okay. You are mm-hmm. what you are. and That's like keeping that emotion out of it. You're in my mm-hmm. way, and okay. I'm in your way, and we're just going to see who's better at this. Okay. But the way it was at Madison Square Garden is we were kind of like horizontally staged, right? Like next to each other. Mm-hmm. Like my crew's over here on the right. His crew's on the left. They put a couple people between us. And he's jumping around and warming up and whatever. And I just like, I mean, I'm trying to stay loose. And I'm just looking at the side of his head. And he's like, I don't know if you've seen this dude. He's the handsomest guy on the planet. He's like super <laughs> shredded. Like it's ridiculous, right? <laughs> And this bronze Brazilian god of jiu-jitsu. And I'm just like, I'm staring at him, and I'm just like, you know, he's he's annihilated all the other competition to get to this point, and he's the, I'm the biggest underdog on the night, and I'm just looking at the side of his head, and I'm just like, he is scared shitless. What told you that? I just... The nervous energy just, he Yeah, had. just the way that he was moving. He was fake. He was and the fake. fact that he wouldn't look at me. And I'm just like, I mean, we're both here. We're standing in a room this big. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There's like 12 people in here. Two of them are about to fight each other, and you're afraid to look at me. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just looking at the side of his head, and I'm just like, I'm going to win. I'm going to beat this dude up. No shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is this is it. And, and look, I mean, I can make it sound that simple now. You still had but to go like, do it, right? Like yeah. there's still, you know, but I was just like, I got this crazy rush of energy and confidence. And I'm just like, he doesn't know what he's in for. Did like, it calm you down? Yeah. And, and then and then my song starts to play. Which like, is? Okay, walk. Uh, you seen The Greatest Showman? Mm-hmm. Never Enough yeah. is my walkout yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. And so I walk out and off to, you know, the path they have you walking out on, like kind of like halfway up the the bleacher is this group of 100 people that came to watch me. And so I'm like close enough. I'm making eye contact with friends from <laughs> with my, from elementary school. Yes. <laughs> and they're just going bananas. And I'm just like, whoa. I'm like, this is it's a kind of surreal. This is a thing right now. You know, like mm. this is life. Like I've worked a Everything. long time. Like, and here it's we all, are. It's all for this. Yeah. And then, you know, climbing the cage. And then he climbs in the cage. He has his song. And I just, again, I'm looking across there at him. And he's more nervous than I am, and he won't look at me, and I'm just like, I'm going to beat this dude. I'm going to beat this dude. I'm going to beat this dude. And then we started fighting. So that's it. prior to the fight, or, or right as it is about to, weren't you climbing the cage? Because you, at this point, you, you're making eye contact with everybody. You're hearing your song. You're hearing the, the crowd. They're going crazy. Does it get to a point where it's quiet or it's focused for you? You always have that in the background. Well, no, what's, that, like, what's that like for you? Yeah, it's either it's like they're making noise, I'm hearing my song, and then I climb in there and I'm, you know, coach gives me hugs, says good luck. Liam gives me hugs, says good luck. And then 
I walk in there and then it's his turn, right? And his mm-hmm. people are making noise right. and his music is playing. And then the only quiet, if there is, if you call it that, is the referee, you know, the in cage announcer, riding out of the blue corner. They announce us and then the referee walks out to the middle. And he looks at you and goes, You ready? Looks at the other guy, goes, You ready? And you just nod your head and they clap their hands and you walk to the middle. And that's that quiet moment, just like, Here we go. And it's something I wish everyone could experience it. I know people hmm. don't because they don't want to put themselves in that dangerous situation, whatever, whatever. But like, I wish everyone could experience it because it's, it's like this distilled human experience of like the fight or flight thing. I hope people never have a fight or flight moment in their real life because mm-hmm. that means yeah. something bad's happening. Yep. But in in competition in a sport like this, you have a real fight or flight moment, and the stakes are really not that high, right? No one's gonna die. So. Right. But but everything you've everything you are everything you train for is riding on that. Yeah, but, you know, it may, but there's it may a feel sense like of, it. there's a sense of fear that comes into that. Sure, absolutely. He, even though in your mind you know you you probably got him. He's he's nervous. He's more nervous than you are. There's still a sense of. He's a good fighter. Oh, he's a great fighter. And he, and he could kick my ass. And so there's got to be that sense of fear. Yeah, and he's the favorite. And look, he beat me in the first round. That's like, so we go out there and, and the whole game plan for me, stay on the feet, the whole game plan for him, get it to the ground. Mm-hmm. And okay. like the first the first uh, exchange of punches, instead of shooting uh, like a regular wrestling takedown attempt, he just like flopped guard like a jujitsu guy and started tying up my legs and got me to the ground that way okay which we weren't expecting and then i was just like okay that's bad so (laughs) (laughs) deal with some of that work my way back to the feet and i was like okay all right now i'm gonna like now this is in my world a couple more exchanges he shoots a traditional takedown attempt and instead of doing the thing that we had been training for the entire camp i did the thing that i always did my whole career where if someone shoots a takedown on you you can shove their face to the mat and get away from them that way or you can scoop and try and pull them back up to where you're kind of like chest to chest or whatever Mm -hmm. you know turn them to the cage work that way i've always done it the latter scoop them stand them up get them back into my world well all of our training camp coach had been like no just shove his head to the mat get away he's got to stand up you do it that way right well the first takedown attempt i scooped him is and, that because it's instinct? It's what you're yeah, no, it's used just instinct, to? and you know maybe my nerves that you know I just was like, I did the wrong thing, and he so he gets me down, and he's on the you know I'm in his world for mo- the whole first round basically, but he can't submit me. He can't like he never really comes close to it, and I can see and I can feel my confidence is building because I'm just like oh this is some world class black belt in jujitsu, and he's not threatening me at all. It's not a big deal. Hmm. I'm like the dudes I was training with. Felt stronger. I felt like I was in a lot more danger. Like it was harder for me to get out of their submission attempts than this dude. So That's a great like, feeling. Oh, isn't it was it? an yeah. amazing yeah. feeling. So I was like, all right, like go ahead, try for that. You can't get it. See you later. And then you know, but still, he won the first round. Okay. I, we go back to the corner, and Jeremy, of course, as a coach should be, he's like, done. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And Liam's just like, come on, man. You know they're nervous. And I'm like, dude, he can't hurt me. It's fine. Yeah, I'm gonna win. But you still gotta go out and win. You, yeah, you've got to you know, do it. Though. I mean, yeah. like in my head, I'm feeling this way, especially in hindsight. But hey, but, refs, I'm winning, okay? <laughs> yeah, but it's like, but they're just like, come on, come on. I'm like, I know, I know. And then you know, first exchange, he takes a couple punches, shoots. I shove his head down to the mat, and he can't complete that takedown. So I'm on, you know, either on top or 
I disengage, ref stands him back up, bang, bang, bang. And it's just rinse and repeat, him trying to take me down, me shoving his face to the mat, me beating him up in between, and he can't do anything to me. And it just sucks the life out of him. Like, Nothing I mean, he's doing is defeated. working. Yeah, and we're he's getting, defeated. Like, easily. Yeah, and I'm getting tired too because fighting yeah. is tiring. Sure. But I'm like, this dude is on, like, I'm smashing his brain out of his head. I actually was impressed that he had a better chin than I thought because I hit him a lot and with hard stuff, and he never got knocked out. Mm. But that, just, but that didn't rattle you at all. No, because I was just like, I will do this all day. You don't understand. <laughs> for a million dollars, the final fight of my career, for this championship, what this means with opportunities moving forward, I will do this all day. You got the yeah. guy you sat across from in third grade up in the stands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you best be, right? Yes. Yeah, I, got like, right I, on. I will do this. I will do this until I am spitting up blood. Mm-hmm. Like, you will not stop me from doing this. And so second round, I beat him up. He's starting to get in trouble, and we go back to the corner, and Horn is just like, okay, exactly that. Good job. (laughs) He's like, you're going to put him away in the third. He's not going to make it through the third. You keep hitting him. You keep sprawling on those shots. He won't make it through the third. Just five rounds? Yeah. Okay. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, okay. And I I whooped his ass again in the third. And I got a little bit overzealous on one of the ground-and-pound exchanges. He, like, threw on an armbar attempt. It wasn't close, but it was like – Pay attention to Stop that. Stop fucking around. Yeah. So Horn's just like, bail out, bail out. I get up off that. And Vinny survived the, the third round. I mean, I killed him in that third round, but he didn't, again, he didn't get knocked out. He's like, he's got blood everywhere. He's got a big mouse under his eye now. He's absolutely taxed and exhausted. We go, I go back to the corner. I'm tired for sure. Mm-hmm. But Horn's just like, okay, he made it. Like, okay, same thing. Keep going, keep going. And I'm just feeling confident. I'm not even sitting on the stool. I'm just like, yep, let's go. I'm That's intimidating to yeah. himself. If you yeah. didn't like, sit down, and he's sitting down. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's That's do that this. Rocky shit. Didn't Rocky do that yeah. in the movie? I don't know, did he? But I was just like, let's go. I'm, I'm ready to go back. Like, I will do this all night, Keith. And I didn't have to. He quit on the stool. Bullshit. Wow. Yeah. So he called it. He called well, it. He didn't come out for the fourth round. He didn't come out for the fourth round. His his because he I'm he sure he up. knew what was about to happen. Well, had you, walk, he you watch the you watch the replay and he walks over to his coach and he hugs his coach, who's a great coach down at Extreme Couture in Vegas, Eric, and he you can see him like says something to him like kind of whispers in his ear, sits down, he sits down on the stool and he's like shaking his head and then his coach turns to the ref and and the ref talks to him and he he called it he quit. That's something mm. based on the conversation we've had with you for the past hour and some change. You don't have that. You 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 would you don't even understand that. Do I don't you? think there's a lot of guys who do. Like honestly, to get to the level that he and I were both at that night, I I visualize that, the outcome of this fight a lot of different ways. Is that surprising to you? Then? I never thought in a million years. Right. Like I. I I thought that I was going to have to put him away. I was going to have to pound him into unconsciousness. You have to to keep stop him from coming. Right. Exactly. Like that's. I thought that not just me and not just him, but like everyone who was in that, like every weight class, everyone who's in this fight. Like you're in a title fight. That's where you're supposed to be mentally. Yes. You yes. go and you go and you go. Yeah. Right. Did and you lose respect for him? Now he was in the ring with you. I'm yeah, not getting look, in the I, ring with you, so you, there's still, that. Yeah, I but respect at the same the guy. time, I respect the guy for sure. Did you um, look any amount of respect though? I mean, just yeah, the for whole sure. quitting. I was just like, I don't understand because it's something that's that felt foreign to me. And I think, unfortunately, I mean, 
he's a very he's a, he has more respect around the world than I do in the fight game because of his jujitsu credentials because mm-hmm. he's a world champion in jujitsu and anyone who's been anywhere near that sport realizes how difficult it is to get to that level. Sure. He's a master at his craft the way that, you know, like, I but mean, you, you, Slash can you, play the guitar. This guy t- does jujitsu. But it's a different, it's, it's, it's not just that craft though. That's exactly. The and and that's what, that's what bothered me so much leading up to the fight is like, people are like, Oh, Vinny's a huge favorite here. And I was like, Why? He and I have very similar fight credentials. Right. We both were in the UFC. Neither of us had really good runs in the UFC. We both have been in this thing, and he's been more dominant against his opponents mm-hmm. through this season. But, I mean, it, are we splitting hairs to that level? Like, I've knocked out a couple guys. He's submitted a bunch of guys. Like, do people – you really don't think that I'm even on his level? Because that's the way the odds makers talked about it. That's the way some of the so, announcers were talking about it. You didn't even belong in the building. That it was just like, well, yeah, I mean, this is a formality. Vinny's going to win this fight. Are, and I his was like, wins, are his wins more of submission than knockout then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because of the style of fighting, I'm yeah, assuming. I mean, he's, yeah, he's just an unbelievable yeah. jiu-jitsu guy. Okay. So that's great, but if you know how to defend against submissions, you can beat him. Okay. If you can stay off the ground with him, you can beat him. And that's what I did. And that's, I mean, the the fact, though, like, I thought I was going to have to knock him out. I came close to knocking him out in the second round. I came close to knocking him out in the third round. I was for sure I would knock him out in the fourth. Mm-hmm. And then he never got never off the stool. Up. Hmm. How, what, what did that feel like? Watching that man not get up off the, off the stool, you, you had to lose your fucking mind. It was crazy because I didn't know what was happening immediately, right? Because between rounds... The doctor comes in to check on both yeah. of you, make sure everything's fine, like whatever. Um, and the photographer for the PFL, guy named Ryan Loco, comes in the cage. That's and a badass name, yeah. Loco. <laughs> he's taking pictures, right? And he, like from behind his camera, he's just like, oh, it's over. He quit. And then he goes back to taking pictures. And I'm like, huh? Didn't register. Unfathomable. So There's now no I'm looking, way. Now I'm looking around, and now the in-ring announcer, the guy in the suit, right, Joe Martinez with the big voice, He's in the cage all of a sudden. And I was like, he doesn't need to be in the cage between rounds. Why is he in here? And then finally, and, and Joe, like Joe, Joe walks over and he's, he's giving me, he's like, yeah, it's over, it's over. And I'm just like, and I, now I'm looking at Horn and Horn's looking over there. And then I finally see the referee. And that's the guy you really got to pay attention to. The referee is waving his hand. And that's like the universal gesture that the fight's yeah, it's over. over. And I'm like, the camera's in my face. The doctor's trying to clean my cut. And I'm just like, it's over, Yes. I just won. And I walked over to like the side of the cage where I could see all my people up there and they're starting to realize and they're going crazy. And I just was like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, that's it. And then like much later, I kind of realized like not only did I win, but I made that dude quit. Yeah, You took his spirit. You broke his spirit. And like, you know, he and I have since talked about it, and he talk, did the whole thing where he's like, yeah, well, I was injured going into that fight, and yada, yada, yada. Ah, sure. okay. it, it goes back to one of the conversations we had about uh, some of our uh, NBA players. You know, I didn't lose, or you didn't beat me. I lost because of it, X, yeah. Y, or C. Yeah. There's a reason, right? Yeah, don't get in there. Yeah, yeah and, and that's, look, that's fine. If you Maybe there was. It, I'm sure he was banged up. I promise you no one... That fought that night was not. That's what we, I was just going to say. Our, that was, for all of us, that was our fifth fight of the year. Yeah. It was our fifth fight from June to December 31st. Mm. So it's our fifth fight in half a year. All of us were a little bit banged up. And, you know, I, I wish him well, but if he, he, can, he, he can feel better and try and convince himself 
that he beat him. I like that. that, that Vinny yeah. beat Vinny, but that's if a you fucking watch that fight, book you really right there. Know. That's a book right there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, for, for you to say this is my last fight and to go out and beat the underdog, yeah, but I mean, yeah. Buster Douglas style underdog. Well, not quite that bad. Not quite yeah. that bad. All right, that's all I can like compare. Eight to one. It's like eight to one. It's like eight to one, not right. forty to one or whatever okay. Buster was. <laughs> but. but I mean, that, that's beautiful. So you do that, and that's mm-hmm. five months ago, and now you say I'm gonna go smile with my straight white teeth, and I'm yeah. gonna talk on <laughs> the the TV or the radio and, and do my broadcasting. This is the middle part of what you talked about and who you are. Yeah. What are you doing with that? So, thankfully, that the success I had last year in the cage and. Kind of my, my background working in sports broadcasting. PFL has given me the opportunity to be their play-by-play guy. Most fighters try to be the analyst, right? We, mm-hmm. all, we all know yeah. like the, the, the general booth is there's a guy who went to broadcasting school mm-hmm. who calls the action. And yep. then there's a Hall of Fame somebody or a champion, yep, whatever, next to who him, tells yep. you why that play worked, who right. tells you why that three-pointer went in, uh-huh. who tells you why that punch right. landed, whatever. So knowing that I am who I am and that, like, you know, Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell and, and George St. Pierre and all these guys. Like, there's so many guys in the fight world who have way bigger names than me. Daniel Cormier. They want to do the analyst thing. So if I'm trying to fight that battle and I'm trying to be the color analyst, I'm never going to be the guy they pick. It's just not going to happen. Even, yeah, though if, right. even, even though I am better than those guys on the microphone, and it, like I am. I'm better on the mic than they are like they're better fighters than I am. Okay. But they don't but people don't care about that because it's all about your fight credentials right. when you're being the analyst. The name, yeah. Yep. You're you, you know. Like Right. That's why Chris Weber is a an analyst on the radio. Well, or it, on the TV. It's crazy. You I look, like Weber. You look like, like <laughs> I like Reggie Miller. Like Dion and like Michael Irvin and all those guys sitting in in a studio doing football analysis. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're terrible on the mic. Horrible. They're mm-hmm. awful. Yes. But it's Dion, right? It's, Paul Pierce, it's, Mike, it's Michael Irvin. Like, you can't, you can't, you can't replace the credentials they have. Right. right. So yeah. you can't compete with that if you're a guy who's like kind of a journeyman who mm-hmm. had a good finish to his career. So I, sure. I decided, look, I, I, I'm a professional broadcaster by trade. Like in the sports radio world, I will be your play-by-play guy. And they were like, yeah, okay. Like we'll see, <laughs> <laughs> and but they let me do it, and the first show was a big success, and we're on ESPN this year instead of being nice. on NBC Sports, and I think this is going to be one of the biggest opportunities of my life because I've uh, you know I'm now calling fights on an ESPN network. Which is season? When does that start? It started last Thursday. Okay, and we do another there every every other Thursday. So I got I'm going to New York again. This I was just upcoming. gonna. I was just gonna ask: Is it then you're traveling all over the place, or do you travel just specifically New York, or what's that like? So the season is um, three events in Long Island, New York, three events in Atlantic City, New Jersey, three events in Vegas, and then the finals once again in uh, Madison Square Garden. Okay. So it covers it. It's the entire year, basically, just yeah, three from, fights at a time. From here on, yeah. and so when you nice. win with that, I mean, you, you cut yourself short. You say not a big name, but you get to to talk about the what they're feeling coming into that fight. It's the same path you 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 Absolutely, walk. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you have firsthand experience on what they're going to go through, what they're feeling, how how this goes, and just because he's a favorite, that doesn't mean shit. Absolutely, you know yeah. I mean? No, and like so, I mean, I'm proud of the fact that I I have the ability to tell this story. In a way that no other broadcaster possibly can. Period. There's no other play by play guy in the sport and really in the sports world that when you watch NBA basketball, 
Marv Albert never played in the NBA. Right. The right. play-by-play guy yeah. on an NBA basketball game is not a basketball player. Yeah. Right. 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 Most of the time, when you watch a fight, the play-by-play guy, the lead announcer, the one chair, is not a fighter. It's Jim Lampley, and then next to him is Roy Jones Jr. Yes. Yeah. Or whatever. Right. So, I'm really proud of the fact that in the fight world, especially, but in the sports world at large, there is what I can do is You're prohibitively rare. Position. Like there's, I can tell the story from a more informed perspective, and there's some challenges that come with that. It means that you got to let the analyst do the analyzing and not mm-hmm. just do it all yourself, right? But I feel like because of my knowledge of the sport, my experience in the sport, I can tell the story better than anyone else can, and I can set up my analysts better than anyone else can because I know what I'm watching. Right. In a way, like, there there are plenty of guys who are good play-by-play dudes who actually don't know shit about the sports they're calling. Okay. And, and they will admit that if you get them in private, sure, right? Sure. Yeah. Gus Johnson, I ran into Gus Johnson one time, and he's excellent in every sport he does, right? I ran into Gus Johnson back when he was doing fights. And I was like, Gus, I think you're really good because he's got the big voice and he mm-hmm. brings the energy at the yeah. right time. And he was just like, he's like, you really think that? I was like, yeah. He's like, thank you for saying that. Because I don't know anything about MMA. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, honestly, it's more impressive that he can be convincing, right? Right. As a yeah, talent, yeah. That is. Yeah. That's good. So, yeah, like, but no one else can do it like I can do it. And I just, if I get good at the execution of it, you know, the nuts and bolts of it, there's no reason why I can't be the number one play-by-play voice in the sport of mixed martial arts sometime soon. So, do they have you paired with someone currently? Or do you, you run yeah, the show? Yeah, so it's some? myself, uh-huh. Randy Couture, who's... Okay. A UFC Hall of Famer who's right. an absolute legend is yeah. one of the, the the personalities that really built the modern day UFC, right? right? And then Eve Edwards, who um, Eve should have been. He he has the same level with big time MMA fans, hardcore MMA fans. He's got the same level of like street cred as even like a Randy Couture does. He Eve was active in the UFC before they introduced the lightweight belt gotcha. to the UFC. If the lightweight belt was around when he was in his prime, he would have he been a lightweight champion. Born too early. Yeah. So what's yeah. what's that like for you then? Um, obviously, you know these names really well. You yeah. know their history. You know what they're about. So what's that like for you to go in and now they're sitting next to you and they're working with you? I love it. I it's it's. I mean, it's flattering to me that I get to be, you know, rubbing shoulders with a guy like Randy Couture, who's. I mean, Randy's yeah. just a legend as a man, yes. not even as, like, a fighter. <laughs> like, Randy was uh, in the Olympic wrestling program. Mm-hmm. Then he became a UFC champion in two weight classes. And he decided when he retired from that that he was going to establish a, a clothing brand that sold millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff. And then he became a Hollywood actor. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah, he was with Sly. and it, Wasn't he, he in the... He's un- in the Expendables. Expendables. Yes. Yeah, in, and uh, he's been in, like... One of the Scorpion King like sequels, like Randy. I mean, Randy's legit. He's he's a dude, and I get to hang out with him. And, That's awesome. And actually, they always tell you don't meet your heroes, right? Randy's a guy you can meet. He's, no problem, dude. He is so cool. He's That's awesome, such a down to earth guy. He's he's got like kind of a paternal instinct with everyone. Takes care of you. Yeah. Make sure you're doing good. As a fighter, when I was fighting, and he, he'd just be like, you know, like, you know, you're doing okay. Like he's he's a really cool guy. And Eve, Eve is much like myself. He's a fighter who's kind of trying to transition into this broadcasting role, and he wants to be really really good at it. So he's super hungry, and he works so so hard at it. 
and he's a great guy to be around because he like demands that you step your level up. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. Having heard all that, I bet you your brother still thinks he could do a better job announcing <laughs> than you can. With that, what is that? What you're saying? That is what I'm saying. Is that what you're saying, Sean? That's what I'm saying. All right on. All right, guys. Well, I hope you appreciated this episode with the real OC Sean O'Call. Amazing. And and we were here. I mean, we, we participated, but uh, honestly, this show was about him. Uh, go check out his book. Uh, before we go any further, where, where can you get your book? I'll go find it on Amazon. Amazon's really the best only place to get it right now. Buy it twice. Yeah, Buy it, it twice. As, like as Keith, Keith said, you can get it digital or in paperback. Fucking moron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, what's the name of it? Hellbound Heaven Sent. Um, and it, it's published under my name, so you should be able to find it searching either Sean O'Connell or Hellbound Heaven Sent. Um, keep an eye out for the sequel. That's coming. Let nice. me just say, it, re- it really is a, a good book. Thank you. I, I started reading it because I, I talked to you probably about, I don't know, almost a year ago. And you're like, oh, book, book, book. I said, right, let me see this damn book. And it sat, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It sat on the shelf for a while. One day I picked it up and I said, let me read this book. And it does draw you in. The characters, man. I'm, I'm, it's... It's a sign like of a good dudes, book. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's like a, I don't want to say it's a dude's book only, but it's, it, it spoke to me it's in, in terms of, it's relatable in a lot there of ways, you, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's so descriptive in terms, once again, of the, of the fighting aspect and, and, you know, the, um, just friends, man. You know what I mean? You're just looking yeah. out for friends that become family. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if, if you like it, let me know. You can find me on social media at Real OC Sports. If you don't like it, I still want to hear from you, and then I'll come find yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say, leave, don't <laughs> leave your address. <laughs> no, like I, I, you just have fake names. It's funny because I really do appreciate you guys having me on and talking for the most part about the book yes. because I, it's my favorite thing to talk about. It's something I'm so, so proud of. I mean, I guess probably the, now I have a kid, so that kid is going to take over as like the number one thing I'm most proud of in right. life, but before it was the book. So. Well, the book That's started in your mind prior to the fighting. The book is still there after the fighting and yeah. continues. So and, and, and nobody knocked the book out of your head. No. You know? no. All right, maybe good, maybe good a little you. bit better. And, guys, so we'll put up all the links to that and where you can get that. Check it out. Uh, show them some love. Get that book. Read it up. Um, review it for them. And, uh, show your love there, guys. Uh, as always, you know where to find us. Uh, we like hearing your emails. Of course, we skipped them this week, as we do with our mask off. Uh, but we are so what you saying at gmail.com. Go to so what you saying.com. That takes you to the uh, social media honey hole. And then, um, of course, uh, we appreciate your contributions at anchor.fm backslash so what you saying. And any other podcast catch you're at, remember to rate, review us, check us out over there. And I got to say, I'm going to say it first, Sean, and then Keith. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on, man. We out.